Hey everyone, the intro song that you're about to hear is from Matt Copeland's band from a few years ago called Light Yourself on Fire and the song name is Intimacy. So check it out and enjoy the podcast. Welcome back to the BMX in Our Blood. This podcast with Matt Copeland was recorded when he was on a swing through New England, visiting a bunch of shops and riding a bunch of different places and just having a good time and spreading the word of Profile, the company he works for, which I'm sure most of you are aware of. Enjoy the podcast. Keep watching for posts on the website, thebmxinourblood.com through GramDad2000 or at DDRBMX on the Find Your Fight Jam because there is a lot going on right now as we get within three weeks of the event. It's going to be awesome. Currently working on the contest jump line, which I'm sure everyone will love, and donations are coming in pretty steady, which is, which is nice. Most importantly, we're going to do the best we can for the Robinson family and uh, have a great time. So don't miss it. July 29th, Powder Ridge in Middlefield, Connecticut. Talk to you soon. Have a great week. So, it's Copeland, right? It's Copeland. Actually. Copeland. Yeah. Okay. Well, welcome, Matt Copeland, <laughs> to the BMX yes. in Our Blood. I appreciate Thank you. it. Absolutely. And you and I know there's some history behind trying to put this together because we were going to do it at Swamp Fest, and then Steve got hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Steve Crandall hurt. His... Steve was hurt actually for like three days, and between mm-hmm. he and my wife, who has a threshold of BMX, it is yeah really minimal. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. time to time to hit the road but yeah, that yeah was i appreciate day. the attempt and it was awesome oh no problem no problem and i and you talked to me i knew we'd meet up again so i wasn't worried about it that's for sure by the way i'm holding a dunkin donuts cup of coffee and i never go to dunkin donuts at night apparently it's a senior citizens hangout like heavy here heavy the place there had to have been 15 or 20 senior citizens is just it hanging not out. usually i don't know i i've never seen one okay you know at, at you know at night on a weekday and because I worked at Dunkin' Donuts for two and a half years in Florida, and uh, one of the best jobs ever had, and all it was was seniors, and they would be so particular about getting a senior discount, and it was like a nickel, and they would demand it. I'm like, I get it, I get it, it's your right. Right, (laughs) right. Oh, God, yeah. I guess I just haven't been to the right one at night, but these people definitely passed on bingo and pinochle and went to Dunkin' Donuts instead. So it's, it's... pretty wild but anyway why don't we uh we'll hit it um 
Sometimes they get Mark and you confused as far as is Mark Mulville. Yes. And you confused as far as who's who's been where and, mm -hmm. and what. Um, you're from Florida? I am, born and raised. Mm -hmm. Whereas Mark is from up this way, right? Mark was born in Connecticut, uh, but grew up in Newport Ritchie, Florida, which is about an hour northwest of me. But uh, he moved out of Connecticut really young. But okay. yes, technically from Connecticut. Okay. So. Gotcha. I think we're, aren't we in Connecticut right now? This yeah, Connecticut. yeah. Okay. we're on the border of Mass. We're almost in Massachusetts. Okay. Springfield is like right there. Gotcha. So it's it's pretty close. Um, do you have any siblings? I've got four, three older brothers and a younger brother. All boys. All dudes, yep. God bless your mother. <laughs> wow. Well, actually, it's funny you say that. Both of my parents were married and divorced three times. So they're all half-brothers. No way. Yeah. Pretty crazy. Three times each? Yep, three times each. And they're both, well, my father passed away a year and a half ago, but my mom is, yeah, so wow. pretty crazy. Wow. So my youngest brother is in New York, and then I've got two brothers in Tampa, and then one in North Carolina, so. Oh, okay. So they're kind of all around, but. Yep. Two of them are by the same, is, is one of your siblings from the same mother as you, or are you the only one? Two from my mom, two from my, my dad. I got you. Mm -hmm. I yep. Actually, I messed up the way I said that, but you get the point. Mm -hmm. um, how does that work out? Everyone, it, um, what, we we were pretty. My my three oldest brothers were a lot older, so I didn't really didn't really hang out. My brother, my brother got me into music in the early '80s, and then he went away to college in '88. So that was when I was about how old was I then? Eleven when mm -hmm. he moved away, and it was it was. He was my music mentor, so for him going away, it was a really big deal for me. And I remember him coming back. Actually, he moved away in 87, and he came back in 88 with a Metallica and Justice for All shirt on. I remember we went to a Taco Bell for lunch, and I remember seeing him wearing that shirt, thinking he betrayed the music that we were listening to, because he got me into hair metal. And I was, I was well, except Iron Maiden. I was really into Iron Maiden. I was really yeah. into, like, Poison like, po I was and Dokken, right? you know? And, right. and, like, he came home, and he's like, he's not into hair metal anymore. He's like, he's a... He's a, he's a Hesher. I'm like, what is going on here, man? But he ended up becoming a semi-professional soccer player up there. Oh, so really? Which, which worked perfect because he had a mullet, he had a soccer mullet. I'm like, oh my god, this is perfect. Thinking back about it. Oh, so, wow. But yeah, it was me and my younger brother growing up. My youngest brother is five years younger than me, and we had a really tumultuous relationship growing up. Yeah. We're good now, but it was really, really rough growing up yeah. together um, with a single mom, my mom, and then my grandmother and grandfather actually lived across the street, and uh, oh, wow. that's who. My grandmother, my mom was a was a she worked all day, so mm -hmm. she wouldn't come home until probably seven at night. And then my grandmother was really the person that raised us. So okay, yeah. because so, your mom had to work. Yeah, so because much. my mom worked. I mean, thankfully my grandmother was there. My my grandfather passed away in '95. The two of them and my mom are like the most influential people I think in my life for really? sure. Yeah, for sure. My grandfather in particular, like he said, kind of set a path for. It was like this weird precedent that they set of like this is what you. My grandmother was an alcoholic. My mm -hmm. grandfather was a recovering alcoholic. And uh -huh. I think that's why I abstained from all that, right. even still to this day, just because I was kind of, even though they did it, I was under the disguise of like, I can't, I can't become what they are. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, yeah, born and raised in Tampa, raised by them. And uh, yeah. And your, uh, your father, he mm -hmm. passed away about a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago, yep. And you guys were good. You, you, uh... Yeah, yeah, we were good. Uh, I didn't see my father that much, unfortunately. He... Um, kind of lived his own life. Mm -hmm. Awesome guy for sure, and he he was a great person to hang out with when you could get his attention. But mm -hmm. I think the one thing that I did pick up from him was friendship. 
because I feel that, especially when I got into the punk scene in high school, my friends became my family, and that was really my dad's scene too. My dad was very much more connected to his, his friends, right. and didn't really have a connection to his family, mm-hmm. and at, it was a bummer, but at the same time, I think it saved me, because it put me in contact with a lot of people that had the reach that really kind of brought me under their wing and sure. kind, of, kind of let me progress into a decent, I feel at least, yeah, human right. being that I am. Right. So, and then, you know, that led into music and then the BMX. Actually, music and BMX kind of happened at the same time. But uh, definitely thankful for that. It's cool yeah. to be in Tampa, too, with all the guys I grew up riding with because they all still ride, too. I mean, oh, we're all really? like 40, in our in our early 40s, and we all still ride BMX. I mean, even though I, I don't, my wife and I don't have kids. All my other friends do. Like we still kind of get together and ride, sure. and it's it's awesome. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. So you've got a good scene going on as far as it's parks, right? Because we we're talking, you don't you don't ride much for trails because you don't have a lot of trail options. I ride right? I actually mostly ride street, believe it or not. Oh, okay. Um, I ride park uh, on certain days because we do have a couple of parks that I'll, that allow bikes in Tampa. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of ride a lot alone. My buddy just moved back from Seattle. He was there for three years. He's back mm-hmm. now. My buddy Eric, I ride with him actually more now, now that I ride street with someone. Uh-huh. But um, it's just more convenient for work because all the parks are about an hour for me, for oh, profile. Okay. So it's just easier to go out with him after work and ride street. So, oh, I got yeah. it. Well, yeah, that's right. There's that awesome picture of you on, what do you call it, ice pick off of that that uh, yellow pole. or uh, Oh, the pole jam. Yeah. Pole jam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I say everything wrong no, it's okay. because I'm all. <laughs> I was I was trying I won't to be picture a, in my head. I won't. We're... I won't be announcing any street contests anytime <laughs> no soon. Trust me. No worries. I won't be announcing. I don't think I'd be announcing anything anytime soon. <laughs> You're all good. I've had to flub through things at the events that I put on, but as soon as Crandall shows up or Daryl Noss shows up, I'm like, please. Of course. Just take this thing. Well, they're the professionals for sure. Oh they can, man, they can take it. I'm like Dr. Monotone. I can't. Uh, I couldn't raise the level of if I had if I had a jack to do it you know <laughs> I'm just I don't know everyone's gifted at something that's for sure so I did want to mention because I don't think this is a coincidence but the the last three interviews I've done have been with straight edge riders so because yeah. I did Garrett Burns I just recorded wow. I actually didn't know that that's awesome yeah yeah I didn't yeah know. Um, you got to listen to that. Yeah, yeah. I'll get Just there, download I promise. it for your trip back. <laughs> sure. Because it's split into two parts, and okay. it's, it's really good. Really good. And last weekend, I went to Richmond and hung out with Steve. Cool. And he obviously is straight edge, and we mm-hmm. talked a lot about that with him. So, so uh, it's pretty cool that three in a row, it's, it's coincidence in that they came out in that order, mm-hmm. or they came on in that order, but it's, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that more people are starting to reflect and say, okay, you know, maybe look outside themselves a little bit. If they had been, if they had been drinking or, or doing drugs or whatever, um, people are really thinking about it. They're, it's, it's becoming more of a, a natural topic, not something there's, uh, there's just a lot of people I'm sure reflecting. And I think it may be also connecting to the amount of suicides, you know, Maybe people are really starting to, to think about, okay, why, what vices am I going to, to put out this fire in my mind? Sure. You know, but your story is a little different. So we'll, we'll, uh, I just, I thought that was a pretty cool that past three people in a row are mm. just in the same boat as you, but your story was a little bit different. You said it was your, it was your 
brother, or I'm sorry, you, you there was alcoholism in the family. Yes, and, yeah, my grandparents, and and I think I never wanted to do anything wrong under their wing, but at the same time, I saw them as alcoholics. So I don't know. Thinking back, I don't. There had to be a maybe a subconscious connection there mm-hmm. that I just didn't know about, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe that's why that's why I got into it. I mean, no judgment at all. I don't honestly. I don't care what people do. It's not people's decisions yeah. or their decisions. It's more of my own personal choice. But um, I mean, I didn't feel that way when I was a kid. You know, I heard minor threat for the first time. I'm like, dude, this is it. You know, we yeah, need yeah. to we need to preach this. And it's right, like you right. get older, and it's like Bobby and I were talking about the other day, and he's like, yeah. you really, you know, you you're really not judgmental about all this stuff. I'm like, right. I don't care, man. It's none of my business. You know, as long as we don't get into into trouble, I don't care. You know, do what sure. you need to do. So sure. But um, yeah, it stemmed from that. Music obviously was a huge part of that because I was—I I grew up around kids that, I mean, we were young, but they were wildcats, you know, for sure. And I was—I was the more mellow, I think, dude in the group. And then, of course, when I got into punk rock, which coincided with getting into BMX, because I think you know the first BMX video I saw that was an actual BMX video. I got now. I, I was into skate videos early on because I hung out with a bunch of skaters, but they mm-hmm. they were actually partying when we were young. I mean, you yeah. know, 13, 14, they were smoking right. cigarettes and drinking and stuff. And I'm like, right. I just don't want to be a part of that. And then I, I got in a got in BMX, but I only watched skate videos because that was, that's what they uh, were watching, and the music was there. Yeah. And then I I think I saw Head First. I don't know what year Head First came out in '91 or '92. I got it for Christmas actually uh-huh. on VHS. Put that in. It's like holy shit, all yeah. these bands, this this soundtrack, and we would we would record the VHS tapes onto a cassette tape. Oh, so you could so listen to the So when we were writing, we would be or, listening or to the soundtrack of Head First, or yeah, like yeah. In, in 94, still my favorite most favorite video of all time is um, is Dirty Deeds, oh, which okay. came out in 94, which has Keith Trainer's part, who mm-hmm. Keith is like my, that's like the dude. Oh, like yeah. when we were choosing guys growing up, like, you know, some kids would they would choose Mike Akabach and everyone would ride like him or they would choose like you know whoever the time sure. Keith, Keith was my dude it was like I gotta be like Keith man really <laughs> yeah like wore, wore the clothes he wore like bought the bike parts he rode and like I gotta ride like him so really yeah that's so, awesome so yeah that's I think where the the straight edge thing really kicked in then was like the mm-hmm. music the BMX and then we, you know we were the outcasts in high school and then that whole you know the sentiment of being kind of the outcast and yeah yeah that's where it stems from so yeah and i think bmx in general i think most of us in high school and middle school felt like we were outcast because it was such a weird thing to do you really you know stereotypically should have been playing soccer and baseball and all this other stuff but Mm -hmm. when i had the choice to to pick up bmx it was like good i can do it for myself yeah absolutely you know so sure there's definitely some parallels there there's there's no doubt um, all right, explain to me what is the difference between punk and hardcore, or is there a difference? I don't. I'm a dummy, remember? So you're no, educating that, me. No, and honestly, that's a really good question. I don't even know if I have an answer. Are they? For that. Are they? Is it because they're so similar? Yeah, I mean, they really are. I mean, hardcore. I don't really know where hardcore. When I think of hardcore, I think of like late 80s New York City and a couple California hardcore bands Mm -hmm. but all those bands stem from all the punk bands before them they were just playing maybe a little bit more of aggressive style music maybe that's where hardcore came from Um, but I mean the side of the side of hardcore that I was into was more on the punk side it was more Mm -hmm. the political side of things it was more the it was, I think it was very much more social and political oriented. Right. And then, but I was also into like the New York City hardcore, like Gorilla Biscuits or, um, or uh, Youth of Today and stuff like that. 
But uh, honestly, I don't have a definitive answer, and that's a good question. I should actually look it up and find out what, what that is, actually. I so. was thinking about it when I was driving to work today, and I'm like, I, I don't think I know the difference between the yeah. two because I'm so, you know, I'm, I'm so out of it. I guess you could say I'm as mainstream as you can call it. I'm, I'm kind of a Chris Cornell, Dave Matthews kind of, mm. you know, just never got into it but Chris Cornell is post-punk if you think about it you know I mean I he did was, not know that I mean in my opinion he is you yeah, know yeah. with with Soundgarden and um I mean, Soundgarden is a post-punk band for sure oh right right I see so I mean there's got to be connections there I mean I think that whole grunge scene is post-punk yeah for the most part so yeah yeah before you know so basically punk started to die off became a smaller genre and I don't even know if it ever died off I don't you know it's a good I don't even know if what the definition of post-punk is I just know when I hear a band of like a group of people who are in an aggressive punk band and then they turn into Soundgarden or Jawbox it's a post-punk genre but it's just maybe gotten a little older and refined their music a little bit but it's still aggressive and yeah yeah, transition almost yeah I got it okay Um, so punk is it safe to say punk is less aggressive than hardcore you think (sighs) physically maybe yeah, because I think hardcore definitely gets, uh, you know, that, that whole, like, it, it's, you think of people, like, being aggressive when they're in hardcore music, where, yeah. I mean, even in punk, it was kind of aggressive, though, too. Um, that's a good question, too. I don't know. I really don't know. You know what? You're, you're actually setting me up to be very, very comfortable with you, <laughs> because I came into this going, okay, and we'll talk about this right sure. now, actually, but... This guy is so much smarter than me. No, I don't know I'm how right. I am possibly going to do a podcast with this guy. I can't go through the entire library in the couple of days I have to prep. You know, so um, I'm going to get smoked in this interview. I'm just not going to. No, no, you're all good. No, These so, are all good questions, and we need to find the answers out together okay. so we can we can know what's going on here. <laughs> we'll do an add-on to the podcast. Sure. You could just you could just text me an audio clip of the explanation awesome. of everything we missed. <laughs> but. Um, so you got into punk, but, uh, oh shoot, where was I going with that? Because we were talking about, uh, oh, well, what, how old were you when you were introduced to BMX through punk? BMX, I started to ride. It's funny because I saw, I had seen rad before. This is, I feel like this is the story of our age <laughs> right now, you know, like yeah. I, uh, saw rad growing up and then, uh, Thanksgiving of 1989, mm-hmm. I was at my grandmother's house and rad weird enough was on thanksgiving day in 1989 on whatever tv station oh and, I, and i watched it all the way through and i'm like that's it yeah. bmx is my deal tomorrow i'm getting a bmx bike and the rest is history it's just funny how that worked i know it's such a stereotypical question for podcasts but it's so amazing because a lot of people it, there's so many different answers and a lot of people say well it was my first chance at freedom because the bike yep taught me how to to feel free like I could go anywhere mm-hmm. you know and other people say it was influenced because of a movie or or because of friends or, or whatever the story is so I I always find it interesting you get a different answer almost every time yeah so it's it's good stuff but um, so I I had written down is 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 punk more of a as much of philosophy as it is a hobby that's a good question. Um, I think it turned into it for sure for me, mm-hmm. and I mean it was for a lot of bands in the in the eighties, I and mean, even go back in the seventies, and some arguably in the in the late sixties as well. Um, 
it started out for me as just a rebellion, like I'm sure it does for a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. But then it turned into, I I was raised, my grandparents, again, going back to them, they, they were very, my grandparents from West Virginia, from the hollers of West Virginia, so very, very conservative, but sure. not religiously conservative, just like... Less than blue collar? Social, economic conservatism yeah, yeah. with racism thrown in, you oh, know, sure. and... It, and I, not necessarily that I empathized with that. That's just what I knew growing up. So getting mm -hmm. into punk, it was, I'm going to rebel against this, whatever it was. Sure. And then I, as I got into it, I'm like, no, this is actually changing my opinion on things. You know, it's getting me into the literature that I ended up reading. It's getting me into the lyrics that I ended up reading that I think influenced where I went. Mm -hmm. I don't honestly think I would have went to college without hardcore. Or punk, I mean, at that time. Which I don't is think... amazing, because on the outside, most people look at it and say, what? That's the opposite, mm -hmm. you know? So I wouldn't think you would have gone to college because of, because <laughs> gotcha. of punk or hardcore. You know I, what I mean? Because that's an establishment in a way. Sure. No, no. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. So I would have thought the opposite. So tell me how you how you ended up uh, It was going less to on a political... I think the politics came later. The politics came way later. And then, honestly, politics, politics kind of came in with my wife, and then even more so now. Like, I feel... I mean, if anyone, but I'm a pretty liberal-minded person. My wife is, like, above me in that, for sure. She's, like, she could be aggressively liberal, which is awesome. I appreciate it, but I'm a little bit more, like, I definitely watch my mouth around, you know. I, I enter the right conversations that I can, Yeah, right. You know. Right. But um, it was, I, I, I'm going to go back to, and we were, my, my buddy Forrest had a ramp in his backyard. Mm -hmm. We were riding all the time. One summer... It was the summer of 1993. We, it was raining because it rains a lot in Florida during the summer. We, for some reason, rented Faces of Death. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh, I am because someone used to play me clips of it. Made, I tried to turn away and it was like, yep. no, no, you gotta see it. You know, you gotta get an electric at the top of a pole. Exactly. You know, it's stuff. terrible. Most of yeah. it was probably staged. A lot of it, I'm sure, was fake, if not all of it. But I hope the so. thing that was real was <laughs> yeah. the factory farming in it. And that was literally yeah. cameramen going into a factory farm and filming animals getting slaughtered yeah yeah, yeah. you know uh by mech you know mechanization essentially mm -hmm. and that was that day was a turning point for me i thought i'm never going to eat meat again right. and i think that was my first step into kind of that political i don't know if liberal uh, liberalism is the right word but like sure. it i was vegetarian the next day i vowed never to eat meat again That's and i haven't amazing. and it's been 1993 it's whatever the math is on that but that was the first I don't know if it's a political decision that I made, and then as I got more into music, it kind of led me into, you know, there's race issues, there's feminist issues, there's, mm -hmm. there's all kinds of stuff that I kind of progressed into that if the music wasn't there, having not heard it on a BMX and a skate video, there's no way that I would believe or feel and think the way I do today, no way. Mm -hmm. So actually, as I'm telling you that, I'm like, I'd never really thought of that, actually. It's kind of crazy that it stemmed from a bunch of, <laughs> yeah, you know, dirty dudes riding right, right, bikes right. in the early 90s. It's like, whoa, that's crazy. This is this literally, like, formed my political opinions on this. So uh, I don't know if that answered the question, but... <laughs> well, it, yeah. Oh, no, no, it added, it added to the question because you became more aware of, uh, of literature in general. Yep. And your appreciation of reading. Gotcha. And... Maybe writing too, but you can get into that afterward. So, uh, so, so anyway, you carried that through your teenage years and right into college. It went into the college, uh, making the decision to go to college because with that's sorry, that's the question you had asked. With vegetarianism, it led me into the idea of environmentalism. 
which led me into wanting to go to school for environmental science. Mm-hmm. So I had started that path for two years, and then I took a poetry writing class, and no exaggeration, that was the definitive, that was the definitive class that changed the next 10 years for me. Mm-hmm. Because I, w- I happened to be a band at the time, I'm like, I've been writing lyrics for a couple years, it's kind of like poetry. Mm. And then I got really into writing poetry. And then I really got into reading poetry, and then I got really into reading fiction, obviously, and then that led into nonfiction, which I've been on this nonfiction kick for like ten years, which sure. is the f- I just love nonfiction. Like I love I love the way Crandall writes when he does posts on least most. It's like this is this is it. I'm right with you. It's so good. Between him, Scott Town. Yep. Oh, and Scott, uh, absolutely. Yourself, Scott, amazing. There's a lot of people that write posts that it's like. I want to save that one for later. Sometimes I'll screenshot and I'll be like, I, I really want to focus on this and read it, but. That's also because it takes me two or three times to understand exactly <laughs> <laughs> to kind of get in that zone. But it, it's it's so good. But um, so so then you ended up pursuing an English major, right? I did, um, and I switched really late. I switched in late '97, '98 <clears throat> to English Lit, and I don't even know why I chose it. I was just so enamored with it. I, I knew I couldn't do anything with it. Right. So and then I met my wife. I, met, I actually met her in another poetry class, right? Um, a modern poetry class, actually, and uh, met her. We dated for a month. Mm-hmm. We, we hung out for a month, started dating, and I mean, we're married, you know, it's whatever the matter, 10, 20 years on that, it's pretty wow. crazy. But um, I mean, she was a big inspiration on that, too, because I found a like-minded person, mm-hmm. um, not at all from, obviously, the, the BMX scene nor the punk scene at all. I mean, she was just a, a woman from Tulsa, Oklahoma that was awesome and had cool Tulsa. views. and. Tulsa, Oklahoma. Wow. Yeah. Amazing city, by the way. I've been there. For the, I, for the a couple for years the ago. For the Grand. Yes, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's uh, it's an interesting place, that's for sure. It's If you can get outside the track, mm-hmm. it's incredible. It really is. Culturally, it's incredible. Um, that's a whole other topic. We can talk about that later. <laughs> I'm going to sway you to get out there again if you go out. Really? And, yeah, it's amazing. It's my well, favorite cities to visit. Really? Mm-hmm. Well... I love it. I mean, I just went to Richmond last weekend. I, I'm sure I've driven through there so many times, but actually having Steve Crandall sit me down in his car and just drive me around, yeah, it was amazing. like, wow, this city is amazing. Richmond I never. Awesome. Yeah. Yep. It was so cool. I'm like, why wouldn't you live here? Sure. Richmond and, is the most like punk, just progressive, really? awesome. Oh my gosh, it's so awesome. I love it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had a great time there. I, as soon as I got home, I told my wife, I'm like, sure, you don't want to move somewhere. <laughs> I mean, we got a little, you know, a little issues with, you know, a few issues with the kids being 18 and 21. And yeah. So my son graduates, as I told you, this mm-hmm. Friday, and, and my daughter is off on her own. She's 21. So it's kind of, we're right at that stage of kind of want to see what they end up doing oh, before yeah. we make any decisions. Sure. But I'd, I'd love to get out of the northeast at times but sure. at other times northeast is beautiful it is I it's love really it up beautiful here. so it's richmond seems to be this happy medium sure so it's uh same with pittsburgh like i love pittsburgh Pittsburgh's awesome. it's too. just uh it's one of those things but yeah i'll have to i'll have to go to the right places in tulsa tulsa to me is like a city in the middle of nowhere well it and, is i mean technically it is yeah. but if yeah i mean it, there's so much cool stuff to see and do and yeah. the riding scene there is awesome the dudes yeah. that are from there are so awesome yeah. such good riders that just are kind of not oblivious by any means they just they kind of have their own thing going and that's it it's just 
It's awesome. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. That is cool. It's mm -hmm. almost like a a little untouched society. You yeah. know what I mean? I think that's the way they want to keep it too, which I respect as well. Yeah, so, right, yeah. right, right. I, so, sorry, Russell. Sorry, Kyle. I don't mean to uh, <laughs> boast your town there, guys, but it is awesome. Ah, you just blew it out. <laughs> is that in, and I said the town name, and I ended up having it edited out, and he's like, no, 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 no. We're not going to say names. Yeah, yeah. No names. <laughs> you can't tell where this is. But um, I sometimes forget that because back in my era, the first time around, it was you were excited to get anyone you could sure. because you weren't worried about the risk involved or people finding out about this spot that sure. more than likely is on private land or absolutely. public land or whatever it is. Uh, now it's a whole different story. So yeah, absolutely. you have to be really protective. So yeah, it's a big city. They'd still have to find the find sure. these 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 guys. Sure. These, uh, these, well, not cliff dwellers, for lack of a better word. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so another one for you is, and it, this is coming from a guy that doesn't know punk and hardcore, but are there uh, are there any stereotypes that you feel go with the genre that are obviously misunderstood? Uh, well, which which genre would you, you because there's um, so many. Oh, I mean, I'm sorry, for punk. Oh, for punk in general. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, of course, there are. It, it's become so mainstream now that the idea of punk is... I think the idea of calling someone a punk is arcane at this point. Mm. So when you think of the word, oh, he's a punk, it really doesn't mean anything now. Right. You know, a punk kid, maybe. It has nothing to do with what punk well, yeah, is. Yeah, that's what I call my son all the time. Yeah, totally. You're such a punk. But I, I Just graduate. <laughs> I don't think so much anymore. I mean, obviously, growing up, yeah, it was a big deal because we were the punk kids on BMX bikes who were hoodlums, you know? And it's like, we weren't. We just were perceived that way. But I don't think so much nowadays. I mean, I mean you've got... I mean, there's there's punk people in the public. You know, you think of Dave Grohl. Like, that's where he's from. Yeah. He's from the punk scene. Right. You know? And it's like, right. now he's this iconic multimillionaire, you know? Yeah. I mean, amazing. Amazing artist. Amazing everything. But it's like, that's a punk dude. That's That's what he's doing. So... Sounds like we're way past the point of, of even worry about worrying about a stereotype of of a particular yeah, music genre. I think so. We're so diverse now. It's sure. It's great. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it even falls into the strange thing too. I think that's kind of lost its mm -hmm. its taboo. Not taboo, but you know, just the idea of like closed mindedness. And I'm sure there are closed minded kids of, of you know w with those with those beliefs. But it's like. Just do your own thing. I think kids are past that now. It's so, so. societal. I yep. think uh, where we live, it's very conservative. You know, a lot of oversized trucks. Kind of like uh, Lakewood, Florida. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it sounds like Florida or Longwood. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Longwood. Longwood. Uh, it's definitely a. It's societal in the in the way that if enough of the kids are doing that or are into big trucks and Trump and you know flying a rebel flag off the back mm -hmm. of the truck and all that and really kind of not knowing what that means yeah or sure or making you know joking around and and, and I definitely try to push the education a little faster but it's sure. it's hard to get a kid to really understand it and change those point of views when they're surrounded by so many kids that are that are kind of all homogenized into that thought process so sure I'm off subject a little bit, but um, but yeah, I think societal, societally, it, it's not a word. I don't think, but I just made it. Societally, <laughs> it works. Um, it works. <laughs> um, I think that's where the pressures come from, where I live anyway. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you go two towns over, it's it's far more liberal. Mm -hmm. If you go to the city that's closest to us, obviously it's even more liberal. Yeah. 
So, and more diverse. That's really actually the word I should be using. Sure. It's, it's diverse. They're more, they're more accepting and understanding or not even phased by all these different, you know, different philosophies on how to live and, yeah. or, or ethnicities or, or any of that. So, um, I don't know why I went off on that one, but I must have been thinking about it somehow. Oh, yeah, no worries. I mean, Florida, yeah. it's, you know, growing up in Florida, I mean, we were, Florida is a melting pot. I mean, mm. from Tampa south, it is a melting pot. You know, you've sure. got your stereotypic Florida that is, you know, the big trucks and the rebel flags and all that stuff. And sure. you, get, you go south. I mean, granted, there's, there's that south as well. But, I mean, it's the immigration that was there for everyone. I mean, it was like a, almost a New York City. I mean, Miami is a giant port, just like New York City was yeah. a giant point. It was a, a stopping point for a lot of people coming in from Cuba, from Central and South America. And like, you go to, you go to Miami and it's like going to San Francisco or going to New York. You've got all these little microcosms of communities that have moved in from everywhere, essentially. Right. So, and I don't know, I mean, Tampa is like that. Tampa's got a really big Cuban got a big Cuban Colombian population I don't know if that yeah. had an effect on me maybe growing up just because it's the way it was I'm like mm -hmm. that's this is just Tampa you know and I don't right. know if that led to my just the way I feel about I'm not to go on a political tangent but no, it's no, like it's I, I was enveloped by it so it didn't really affect me I'm just like this is just the way it is mm -hmm. these are just so on the racist tip for me it was just like I mean I know it exists right right and I, I desperately tried to never think in, in anything in that term but it's mm -hmm. like there was much more diversity there sorry to get off subject but i feel tampa is i was lucky to have grown up there because the diversity is there as well so right yeah i'm glad you I'm glad you're speaking this it's important this is what i like people to hear and this is what i like to learn more about with different with people living in in such drastically different communities yeah you know around this country it's it's amazing mm -hmm. it, a lot of different, a lot, of, a lot of different philosophies floating around out there. Sure. And what I was getting is up this way, the the community kind of does push you that way. You have to be a, you have to have a really open mind to not slip into that that thought process mm -hmm. that, that may be negative and not fair to other people. Sure, so. absolutely. And again, I think both punk and hardcore uh -huh. mixed together and BMX, I think, are a way to kind of wedge yourself into that scene. Mm. Maybe not even knowingly, you just get in there and it's like, this is a diverse group of people that... Yeah. And and you kind of learn that way. It's funny talking about it now because I'm like, man, I can't believe those two things and how much, like, we're sitting at this park, you know, in Connecticut yeah. and I'm like, this in front of me has like, it's it's shaped the way I've become and the way I think and it's, uh -huh. it's we're riding bikes. It's crazy. Right, right. <laughs> so crazy. No, it's wild. Yeah. I would say uh, for some of us, it was... Somewhat the same thing, but on the dirt side because we didn't have as many parks until I don't I don't know when it was the time period after '98. It seemed like a whole bunch of parks were popping up mm -hmm. during that span. But um, for us, it was it was trails. It was it was racing and trails. But um, you could definitely find some identity at, at trails. Sure. A little different now. It's still it's still good. The bonds are still super strong. Yep. That's what I love about trails. Probably what you like about street in some park. I mean, there's just there's an appreciation for sure, sure. of each other. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, um, it's funny because the first podcast I ever did was with Chelsea. Mm -hmm. It's good and at uh, the trails that we were talking about. Yep. And that was the first first one I ever did. I I knew 
who I was interviewing, mm -hmm. and I knew the story. Um, it happened to just play out that she was visiting, mm -hmm. and I was tired of thinking about it, and I said, I'm just going to do it, and I asked her at the Women's Weekend at, at uh, Caddy and Posh Trails if she wanted to do it, and, and sure enough, we did, and that ended up being a, inadvertently ended up being the first podcast that really talked about tolerance for diversity sure. in a heavy way. And uh, and it was it was I'm I'm comfortable with it for sure, um, but it definitely was a strong one to put out as a first podcast. Absolutely. And if any, if anyone too is the spokesperson for like sitting down with Chelsea too, we we judged the FL series together. Yes, she's an awesome judge, amazing writer, yeah. awesome judge too. Mm -hmm. She's like so. She's got an awesome memory when it comes to to. to to runs as well yeah. but like it's funny because we'll sit there in between you know the judging will be over we're judging the 12 year old group right. and then we turn over and it's like <laughs> we just start talking this deep like let's talk like let's talk social issues Chelsea you know? let's, oh. let's talk about this for 20 minutes and it's like right. I'm listening to her and I'm like literally it's funny because the last stop we were at I had my phone out and I mm -hmm. was I was taking notes I'm like she's so intelligent and she's got so much ammo I'm like I'm writing this stuff down because I have to research this to understand this for our next conversation it's mm -hmm. pretty awesome but yeah kudos that's awesome she's oh, awesome yeah it, she definitely was so well spoken she obviously carried the interview because I'm fumbling around I didn't know what the heck I was doing <laughs> and that was before I uh, before I started involving more of the BMS community with with pulling in questions through Instagram yep. and all that um, so I was on my own I was just figuring it out and mm -hmm. she was she was awesome she she helped by explaining herself so well and you know to this day I, I try to messenger message her every now and then mm -hmm. just checking in because she really she she gave up some some serious vulnerability by sure. by talking so um, anyway it's it's good stuff it made me more even more uh, firm with my with my son about anything he said that was even close to sure. that to that subject in a negative tone sure which I always have been anyway and you know, it's hopefully someday it'll it'll click but again he's got to get out of that society yeah absolutely when he graduates he needs to start experiencing the world and it'll happen over time I yeah know. yeah he's heard enough of my BS so he's, <laughs> some of that will click I'm sure it's funny too at the contest as well like Chelsea is the only person at these contests that my wife cares about. She's like, how'd Chelsea do? Oh, nice. Yeah, she's like, she, she's like, that's, that's my, my wife seems Ariel. Yeah, it's yeah. like her champion. She's like, what's Chelsea doing? How's she riding? Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. <laughs> she's great. I think as long as she has the comfort of having, of knowing that she has a group that, that supports what she does and yeah. what she's about. Absolutely. I think that's. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and it exists in Florida, and it's awesome. Like the mm. FL series, it's like we, it's a rally. You know, we get together, and it's like we're rallying, like everyone there, regardless of what's going on, whether your style of riding, how old you are, where you're from, it doesn't matter. And it's mm -hmm. like Chelsea fits right into that, and it's yeah, such an awesome feeling. Yeah. I can't, I can't like Dave Brumlow does the FL series, mm -hmm. and uh, I can't. I can't say enough good things about what he's done. I mean, I don't know what year he's in now. Eight, eight years, I think he's been doing really? something like that. Yeah, and it's incredible, and it's it's wow. it's maintained itself. Um, 
he puts in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into it. Mm-hmm. Puts in a lot of his own money into it, and it's really brought the state of Florida. There's a lot of awesome things going in Florida. I mean, what sure. Trey did, you know, back yeah. in March was one of the most amazing things I've seen. Oh yeah. But Dave, like, is continuously doing not something on that level, but still something that gets kids together, gets them stoked on BMX, gets the rallying cry together to where you leave there and you're stoked just to be around the whole scene of Florida. Sure. So, yeah, it's yeah. awesome. As a side note. <laughs> no, it's such a yeah. good side note, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I, I was aware of the FL series. I just did not – I didn't know how big it was, and I did not know how long it's been running for. Yeah. I so Don't quote me on those on those years, but it's it's getting up there now for sure. Either way, so. we're talking more than one. Yeah, yeah, so totally. It's, it's got so it's got some legs for sure. sure. So that's that's great. Um, a little more, a little more punk talk. Um, you had a band, mm-hmm. and how long ago was that? I had two bands. Um, I was in a band called Reversal Man from '95 to 2000, and then from 2003 to 2010, I was in a band called Light Yourself on Fire. Um, no indication of my personality on that. It was just the name of the band. <laughs> yeah. Because we were loud and aggressive, but not aggressive physically, just aggressive the music style. Sure. So, um, yeah, so that, that definitely enveloped a lot of my time. Wife, definitely not stoked on that because it took a lot of our time to do Practicing that. Practicing and all that. Yeah. yeah. And touring because both bands toured. Reversal Man toured a lot. Reversal really? Man, yeah. We would tour, we would do three tours a year. You know, the two last years we were together, we did two full U.S. tours followed Mm -hmm. by, sorry, two full European tours followed by two U.S. tours. So it was like my whole summer basically invested into a band, which Mm -hmm. was one of the reasons that we couldn't maintain it. I hate to say it selfishly because I could not not ride that for that long. I mean, three months at a time, it was it was brutal. And at that point in my life, like I was finishing up school and all I wanted to do was ride. Like I do now. It's right, like, right. It's not a work. It's all I want to do is ride. Right, So right. I miss it a ton for sure. I, I miss the, I still, the friends that I made then, I still have a lot of those friends and the communication there. And the, it's, it's interesting to think with Reversal of Man and how going back to that idea of literature and whatnot, I was a, I had a ton of pen pals in the 90s. Yeah. And for anyone that doesn't know what a pen pal is, I know this is ridiculous, ridiculous to have to explain it. It's writing letters to people. It's yeah, imagine before, that. It's before DMing. It's for Instagram. You know, right. before emails. It's you physically write a letter to someone. You send it out, and two, three, four weeks later, you get a return letter, you know? Yeah. So, and it's funny, the connections that I made. Like, Alexi Deselneu, a uh, real quick story, sure. who owns Heresy BMX out of um, France. Okay. Um, amazing Flatlander. Amazing rider in general. Uh-huh. Um, Alexi is, I think, turning 40, must have just turned 46 or 47 now. We met as pen pals from the punk scene. I didn't know who he was. He didn't know that I rode. Because at that point, he was making moves in the BMX scene. Like, he was, he's yeah. an amazing rider. I mean, he, he pioneered a lot of crazy stuff. And uh, I remember we were probably a, a year in our correspondence. Uh, I used to write to not only people, I used to write to record labels. Oh, and then okay. I started a record label, which I always forget about too. I had a record wow. label from 95 to 2000 called Plead that I'm still releasing literature on, but it was a record label for the first five years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was trading with a friend of his who ran a record label out of France, and he stepped in for his friend while he was on vacation and was answering mail. So he emailed me back and we're like, oh, I'm just going to start writing to this dude because we like the same music. And then a year into the correspondence, he's like, I'm going to go ride flat. And I'm like, 
I'm going to go ride my buddy's mini ramp. This right. is bizarre. <laughs> and then a year later, he flew into Tampa, and I'm like, this dude is legit. Like, yeah, this yeah. dude is badass. Right. And then, I mean, he comes to visit us. He's been coming over every year for the past three or four years now. Really? He's real tight with my wife as well. That's my awesome. wife went and stayed with him. Uh, he and uh, Alexi and his wife and family uh-huh. uh, probably 10 years ago. And uh, But, yeah, it's funny where that went, you know, like the idea of letter writing yeah. and how that played into just writing lyrics and reading literature. It's all like when you think of, you know, prolific writers, their collected letters are right. a big a big impetus or like a not an impetus but a, like a big drive behind their literature like for instance you, you like Wallace Stevens is one of my favorite poets, poets and you get like Wallace Stevens collected letters and you get mm-hmm. into it and you realize that a lot of the stuff that he was experiencing and writing about all came from this correspondences to whoever he was writing with you know mm-hmm. and it's like H.P. Lovecraft who I'm not so much into anymore he's from Providence um, okay. he, he started the genre of weird tales Oh, okay. um, love him, even though he, his political views I wasn't really savvy to. But mm-hmm. um, I appreciate what he did for his genre. But you get his collected letters and you get into it and you're like, this is where this was coming from. So it's funny talking about that because I'm also like, man, I didn't realize le- how much letter writing had an mm-hmm. effect on not only the views that I have now, but just the, the friends that I've maintained over the years that came out of writing this blind letter. You really? Know? It's like crazy that's awesome yeah yeah jeez don't i had a couple pen pals but and one of them was chris moeller but <laughs> mostly because i bought a bike from him so he was he was excited to trade zines and stuff but uh that's funny but, but maybe that was maybe that was his partner writing the letters i don't know yeah yeah but it's funny but yeah it was pen paling is um something that i i'm sure doesn't happen yeah, it's sure. hard enough to get you know kids to write thank you cards true you know i mean it's hard now it's hard for me to get a write a thank you card yeah it's like i've got i can just text someone and say thanks right right exactly beyond college i was um i the first year of college i lived in a dorm i went to university of tampa and i was Mm -hmm. i had unfortunately as another side note my house got destroyed in 2003 by a hurricane a hurricane Mm. dumped a, a pecan tree on my house and destroyed it so I lost a lot of my vinyl. I lost a lot. I lost all my correspondence. I kept all of my oh. letters. So I had boxes and boxes and boxes wow. of letters, and they were all destroyed because it just let you know the rain wow. come in. But um, funny side note about pen pals. I started writing really early to people um, back in the Go days, actually. So I would oh, just okay. be like, "All right, send my su- subscription to Go magazine." This is like 1990, yeah. and it was right when they went under too. So I never yeah. got. The subscription I just sent, you know, the hard-earned 15 bucks that I had for a yeah. year subscription. I just never got the magazine. Until right, under. right. But I sent Bully Bikes, I think, a couple bucks for a sticker pack. Uh-huh. And this is, I remember, seriously remember writing this at my grandmother's, from all my grandmother's Formica table <laughs> in her in her dining room, or dining room kitchen. Wrote it out, sent the cash out, and it was three bucks. Yeah. Hard to get three bucks right. at the time. Never got the stickers. And then at Roots in 2002, Brian Fell walked up and handed me a bully sticker pack. No way. And he goes, sorry, dude. <laughs> oh, my god! No way. It's so crazy. Like, 12 years later, That's I get insane. this sticker pack, you know. Oh, my God. So funny. <laughs> wow. Okay. It's good. Some people don't forget. Yeah, yeah. That's for sure. Um, so let's go. What's the best show that you remember playing? What was your favorite show that you ever Ooh, played? That is a good one. Um, man, there were a lot. Um Maybe because of the venue, the the crowd, the 
We played so many really interesting shows. It's funny because I, I'm following. Are you familiar with George DeSantos? That name sounds super familiar. George is in a, an incredible hardcore band right now too. They're actually touring Europe, and I'm following him. And I'm like, man, this is so rad to see him experience mm-hmm. it because we're the same age. But it's mm-hmm. cool to see him experiencing this. Yeah. Twenty years later, right? Over in Europe, and when we toured Europe, we stayed at a lot of squats. So they're these. I would say they're definitely socialist leaning squats where like a group of people have gone into a building they've taken it over they set up electricity and you play a show and then you sleep there and they provide you with food it's incredible Europe is touring Europe is so much different from the US yeah but I mean most of those most iconic shows happen in Europe for me just because of the hospitality of the people involved mm-hmm. um, it was just amazing uh, in the in the book I put together there was a story I'd written in there um, um, that was based on this squat that we played and this leads into one of the most interesting shows we ever played it was in Copenhagen Denmark we stayed at a squat called I can't remember the name of the squat unfortunately just got shut down within the past decade it was about a four-story building um, Mm -hmm. and it was this autonomous building just kind of in the middle of Copenhagen Uh and we played in the basement got done playing awesome show people were really into it went outside to move our van and this there was a man there that was running the squat from England and he came up and he said get all your stuff together get inside the police are coming so we moved our van grabbed all of our merch pulled it inside and as we're coming inside there were punks with balaclavas like Mm -hmm. straight up face masks you know fortifying this building like a castle they were like dropping railroad ties in front of the door there was an escape there was an escape staircase that went up to like a uh, a doorway on the third floor. They were setting that up, like fortifying that so no one could get in. Uh-huh. They rushed us in. We were walking up the staircase. We were probably about three stories up, and we passed this room where there's all these people with shortwave radios. It looked like a scene out of like a World, World War, War II, II movie, yeah. where you're like, you, you know, you have everyone with their headphones on, yeah, they're like yeah. preparing for, you know, an allied or you know, a, a Nazi bombing or something. Where they're trying to decipher. <laughs> They were deciphering where the cops were in the city, and that's how they knew they were coming, oh, right? It was insane. Whoa. So we get up to the fourth story we were playing, or not playing, staying. Yeah. We got our stuff situated, and there were windows that overlooked this main strip in Copenhagen, and we got all of our stuff together, and you could, if I recall correctly, you walk up to the window, and they were big, and you could see the whole street below, and these three cop paddy wagons rolled up with those giant flashlights, like the giant spotlights. Uh-huh flashed it on the building at us. So here we are, there was nine of us, there were five of us in the band and we had, because of the way we toured, we just had all of our friends come with us. So we had four roadies with us. Yeah. And the light shined up at us and then from above us on the roof, just a barrage of bricks and bottles and just shrapnel onto these police paddy wagons. Mm. And we were like, we're all going to jail. <laughs> we're going oh to jail. My God. They get just hammered for five minutes and then they leave and we're in shock we're like what's going on and then they came back oh, of course and then it happened again With heavier guns it happened again. so <laughs> after experiencing that we finally went to bed i don't remember how long it was for us to get to bed after that experience right. we go down in the morning at every squat they always cook you an amazing breakfast sure. always vegan which was incredible yeah and um we, you know we asked the people you know what was the deal why are we not why is this place not condemned why are we not in jail they're like it happens every single weekend Really? <laughs> so they're used to it. Wow. Just used to it. Wow. That was a good show. I mean, there were there were a lot of others. We played a lot of shows in the states that were incredible. Uh, we played um, um, 
Steve Aoki's living room, which is Steve Aoki is one of the biggest DJs in the world. He was, we were on a record label out of California called Ebullition. He was Kent McClard, the owner of the record label's kind of right hand man. Okay. He was into political punk rock. Right. Um, and we played his living room. And then I was walking in, <clears throat> I was actually at Interbike probably eight, ten years ago. Mm hmm. Going down uh, one of those moving sidewalks, and I look up, and there's this giant banner of Steve Aoki with his headphones on. And I'm like, why does this dude look familiar? And I did the research, and I'm like, this dude is like one of the biggest DJs in the world. Wow. It was crazy. And we like we played his living room. Oh my God. It was so bizarre, yeah. That was a cool show, too. Wow. So, yeah. How about shows that you've gone to see? What's been um, one of your favorite shows to see? That's a hard one because there's so many different genres. I mean, I'm really. Admittedly, I'm really into goth rock. I'm not gonna mm -hmm. lie. I'm really into post-punk, mm -hmm. death rock, and goth rock. So a lot of those bands. I just saw a band from up here called Boy Harsher. Mm -hmm. That is from. Is there a Framington Ma or a Farmington Mass? Framingham. Framingham Mass. or from Framingham. Probably mm -hmm. one of the best live bands I've seen. Really phenomenal. I was I was like hoping for them to be playing up here. They're actually playing in a week in Providence. Oh. I'm gonna miss them. Yeah. Uh, I just saw this band, uh, the Soft Moon play. Who are incredible. They're uh, like a more electronic band, like Nine Inch Nails. They're really good. Yeah. Um, the best band of all time is, for me, is hard because there's so many. I saw my favorite band of all time is this band named Jawbox. Mm -hmm. They're from DC. I saw them play in '93. That, for me, was probably the best band I've ever seen live. Really? Just emotionally and just the wall of noise. And uh, I'm sure some people out there have heard of Jawbox, but. Um, mm -hmm. Um, they went on to do a, a lot of other projects, but yeah, that's probably the best show I've seen. Wow. For sure. I gotta ask, have you ever heard, I'm, I'm going to script the name of the band, have you ever heard of a guy named Corey Unger? I have, but I don't know where I would have. It was either, his band was either called, um, There Will, uh, Blood Will Be Shed, or, but they toured. I mean, they were touring Europe, the whole thing. And, and yeah. we were BMX buddies. We grew up okay. together and rode BMX a lot. I, I have to get back to you on it. I okay. can't remember the exact name, but I don't believe they play anymore. And he's he's back to Connecticut now. And uh, and just working full-time. I don't believe he has any band. Any band. Or he has a band going right now. But um, it sounds like it was the same same genre and it's after him and I split off a little bit I kept racing and riding the trails okay. and he put all of his time into learning music learning how to play multiple instruments and he, when he got zoned in on something he was amazing at it gotcha. BMX included he was he was the best at everything and he was way better looking than me too <laughs> so I was really happy when he quit because I'm like man nothing's worse than going out with him oh. but how about a Josh Hayes question for you I'm sure you know Josh. He's, I do. Josh is awesome. Yeah. Thanks, well, you, Josh. You definitely, he definitely says you're awesome too. He actually sent me these questions uh, months back cool. when I was going to interview mm -hmm. you at Swampfest. Yep. So, one of his questions I'll sprinkle in is, who are the three most influential people in your life in hardcore, hardcore slash punk? Oh wow, man, that's a good one, Josh. Um, three most influential people: Ian McKay, for sure. From Fugazi, Minor Thread, Embrace, mm -hmm. Egg Hunt. Um, that would be number one. I think he's probably a lot of number ones, actually. Um, Steve mentioned, Steve Crandall just uh, mentioned the Fugazi song when we were doing his uh, his podcast last week. It's awesome being in the car with him because there's always a Fugazi song that comes on when we're driving, too. I stepped <laughs> on that. 
Oh man, I, I man, that's a hard one. Sorry, Josh, I'm gonna have to let you down on that one. Ian McKay for sure, just because I mean, yeah. hearing his lyrics, even beyond the music, just hearing his lyrics had such an impression on me mm -hmm. for sure. You've got, you've got time to redeem yourself okay, with him. Awesome. He, he threw a lot of questions <laughs> your way. Um, my buddy Ted Nelson. Do you know Ted Nelson? Maybe. He, he worked for Ronnie a little bit. He worked for Standard. He had his own yes. shirt company, yes. which was yes. Step. Yes. Step Designs. Um, but I think he was in Florida for... Could be wrong on this, Ted. I'm sorry. I think he was down there for two years, maybe. He's the one that, that I believe, designed that UGP, the oval plate. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, and and he did a bunch of standard ads with ground chucking in. And okay. He's just amazing photographer, amazing guy. I'm going off on a podcast about Ted. Um, he won no favorite hardcore show. We just talked about that. But uh, here's here's a tough question: four four band fantasy show of bands you never got to see. Ah. <laughs> so so there you go. What four bands would you oh, like? Oh man. To? Uh, wow, this is going to kill a lot of people. Fields at the Nephilim would be one. <laughs> are oh, you ready? Who are this? Yeah. They are a a spaghetti western cowboy themed goth band from London. Wow. They still play. They never tour the States. Yeah. Um, I would love to. We were actually, I was Bobby. I was making Bobby listen to me in the car. Bobby's stoked <laughs> on everything. This, so he's like, oh, man, this is wild. I'm like, you don't have to lie, Bobby. I know this is probably one of my... That dude yeah. is stoked <laughs> yeah. all the time. Bobby's always stoked. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, that's a hard one because um, uh, there there's a band that I just missed in Richmond last summer called Drab Majesty, who mm -hmm. I would love to see. They're they're a really good electronic band. Um, but going back hardcore wise, I mean, to I hate to bring it up again, but to see Minor Threat play would be oh, okay. phenomenal for me. Mm -hmm. um, going back to the last uh, the question before that too about one of the best shows. I feel bad not to mention this. The first show I ever went to was Fagazi, and oh, I saw yeah. them on the Repeater tour, and they were they were probably the best band I've ever seen live. Really? I mean, I was like freaking. I didn't even know how to react. I'm like, oh my god, yeah. man! Like all my idols in one show, and I'm like, it's amazing. Um, that's a hard one too. I don't know if I can fully answer that. Putting four bands together that that would be. Um, uh, Christian Death would be one. I would love to see Christian Death. The, the vocalist actually committed suicide, um, unfortunately, in the sometime in the '90s. But I would have loved. They were the only uh, American death rock band from the uh, from the '80s and early '90s um, that they would probably be on that list as well. Uh -huh. um, there's probably a couple Canadian hardcore bands I would have loved to have seen. There was a band called Union of Uranus that I would have loved to have seen. Mm -hmm. um, they were from, I think, Sherbrooke, Ontario. Um, that would have been a dream for me. Um, Sorry, that's a bunch of random bands, but if we put them together in this weird, <laughs> like, melting pot of weird genres, that probably Fields of the Nephilim, Union of Uranus, uh, Drab Majesty, and uh, I can't remember who else I just named there. But We're lucky together. he didn't ask for them in order of who's going <laughs> to open and who closes. <laughs> I don't think they could. Maybe if they all played together, that would be my dream, same. man. Yeah. Right. Oh, man. All right. And then he asked, uh, did you... <laughs> this is kind of funny. Did you ever go to shows or ride at Dave Brumlow's brothel? I did, actually. It's, yeah. it's awesome that he mentioned that. Um, the brothel it's was... Ted's awesome. <laughs> it's, it's a really... It's, it's almost like I feel weird even mentioning the name. Because like sure. knowing Dave, it makes sense. But like, like for me, it's like, man, that's weird that I went to this skate park called the brothel. Right. And I didn't know what it meant at the time. You know, right. I drove there and we... 
the brothel was in Melbourne. It was uh-huh. an indoor park ran by Brumlow, Rob Nolly, Aaron Binky. Aaron Binky's still one of my close friends. Um, and Dave Mabro. Uh-huh. Um, well, Dave is still one of my close Actually, I'm friends with all those dudes. But sure. Aaron in particular was like one of the dudes. Kip just did an interview with him on the Space Brothers podcast. Yeah, and I'm, Aaron, in, I'm in the middle of it. Oh, you're listening to it? Oh, yeah. Awesome, yeah. Aaron... Yeah, they put out some good ones. Yeah, for sure. Aaron is top-notch, man. He's such an awesome dude. He's a heady dude. He's an amazing writer. Mm -hmm. And what he does now... Actually, my wife and I just visited him. We flew up and went to one of his vegan tasting menus. Actually, back in uh, November, we were up there Uh in in West Virginia, in uh, Morgantown. But uh, anyways, the four of them had the brothel. We would drive... I mean, sometimes during on school nights in high school, we would drive two and a half hours and go ride the brothel, and then we would drive two and a half hours back and go to high school the next morning. Whoa. It was insane. Um, what was his question, I'm sorry? About- well, he wanted to know if you, um, if you ever went to shows or rode it at Dave Rumble. Rode it a lot. Also went to a lot of iconic shows there as well. I saw some of probably the, the better hardcore. These were more hardcore bands, I think, than punk because they were that more aggressive, mm-hmm. metallic sounding. Maybe there's some definition in that as well. Maybe yeah. hardcore has more of a metallic connection than it does discordant punk rock. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, definitely went to both. Um, but it's weird thinking back because we also did that for shows at the brothel. So again, on weeknights in school, uh-huh. we would drive two and a half hours to a show. Right. Drive two and a half hours back. I mean, sometimes we'd ride till midnight. Sometimes the show we shows go until one, and right. then we would get back at four. <laughs> you'd like go to bed for an hour. You'd wake this up when you're in high school. school? Yes, yeah, in high school. It's crazy. I can't. As a parent, you must have driven your. Your grandparents and your mother freaking crazy. Somehow, I don't know. I don't know if they just trusted me or if honestly they just didn't care. I don't well, it's know. Not, it's not a trust issue. It's just it's, it's you know, I call it, uh, you know, helicopter parenting, which is far from my case <laughs> in my house because they don't listen to me at all. Um, but uh, just just that worry. Like, it's not worried about where you are. Yeah. It's worried that you just get back safely and it's hard to fall asleep when you know there's a kid not home yet. Uh, you know what I mean? I think if they knew the route we took to get there to, they probably wouldn't have slept because it's Route 60 that drives all the way to Melbourne. It's a two-lane road, so it's one way in, one way out, yeah. and it's it's a route for semi-trucks Oof. through the state with nothing in between. Yeah, like, yeah. you leave Tampa, and it's literally two and a half hours of cow pastures in semi-trucks, one way in, one way out. You know, through the middle of nowhere. Better so have enough we, gas. Yeah, totally. You break down, you run out of gas, you get into an accident. Like, really? it's not good. And we, it's funny because there was one, uh, one of my buddies gr- growing up was named Omega. Omega Zates is his name. Um, uh, lives in California. You know, awesome dude. But he inherited a car from his brother that was probably from the 50s. Really? An old, I don't know, maybe a Chevy. Was Chevy around then? It was like one yeah. of those old 50s cars. Mm-hmm. And we would take that out there. Just he and I in this car that like guzzled gas, like could break down at any minute. We drove right. out one time in my other buddy's car where the windshield wiper flew off during a Florida like torrential <laughs> rainstorm. And we're driving down the road. He put um, scotch tape around it. And it's, it's literally, you know, swinging back and forth, not helping at all. And we're just yeah. driving in torrential rain like we need to get to the brothel to ride, man. Oh, man. It's so funny. Wow. But yeah, good times at the brothel. Great place. I, I wish, I mean, obviously I know the overhead was a lot for Dave, but uh, that was such an influential and I think kind of off the radar location that really solidified 
BMX in Florida's history. It was just such, I mean, I saw Taj Mahalik ride there, yeah. you know, for the first time. Like, seeing him ride that park was unbelievable. Yeah. Rode with Mark Losey there. Wow. You know, it was, like, cool to see Mark yeah, it was kill that ramp. The it camera, was so right? awesome, you know. So, but yeah, Rafa, awesome place. Wow. I'm glad, I'm glad Ted brought that up. Yeah. I'm going to switch gears to a subject that, that uh, I'm deathly afraid to talk to you about, which is literature. <laughs> because <laughs> Do I we know really what, want to bore people with it? Because I will go on about literature. Well, I don't think it's going to be boring. Okay. Um, but uh, we talked a little bit about when your interest in, in literature and writing began, mm -hmm. which, was, which was when you were a teenager, really, yeah. right? Um, I wanted to know if you have any favorite genres or authors. We talked about nonfiction, but are there any nonfiction authors that you really kind of, kind of glued to? It's funny because it's thinking about. It's funny again the connection I ever thought of of like having this piece of vinyl that you covet mm -hmm. and then having this book that is. It's it's so similar, you know. It's like how oh, crazy. Yeah, I do. Tangible. I have very much Just, so. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I do have um, my favorite poet of all time is Wallace Stevens. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a piece of his, uh, a line of his poem written around my arm, and I'm going to give a shout out to uh, Jody Temple in Athens, Georgia. He's the only person that's ever known what it was. When he saw it, he was like, dude, that's from the Emperor of Ice Cream. Really? Wallace Stevens. I'm like, you're awesome, Jody. I love you. Wow. <laughs> so it's crazy. He also studied literature, though, as well. Okay. Awesome flat rider as well from Athens. Still rides, still kills it. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, Wallace Stevens... Probably between he and, and Shezlaw Miłosz as poets would go. Those are my two top for sure. Uh, Miłosz was from the Polish-Lithuanian border. Wrote a lot during the Second World War. Wrote mm -hmm. very traumatizing po poetry from the Second World War. Um, he won the Nobel Prize, I think, in the early 90s. Those mm -hmm. two dudes, hands down, favorite poets. Um, yeah. As far as fiction, I mean, I, I kind of dropped out of fiction a really long time ago. It's funny because I, I went to my buddy's wedding out in Big Sur, and he his wedding was actually at the Henry Miller Library, which was gorgeous, but I was talking to the, the guy who ran the library there, and I told him about my obsession with nonfiction. He called me a, he goes, you're just a typical male, man. Yeah. I'm like, I damn, low blow, dude. I know. <laughs> I feel like that when people, when I do tell people I read uh, nonfiction, because it's, it's uh, I, I don't know, I just like the realism of it. I, it's, it's a real story. It's I can actually connect with it where fiction, uh, I don't know. Sure. Just, I just can't. Do don't that. get me wrong. I like fiction. Mm -hmm. I love Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, I love Hemingway. Love Hemingway. But mm -hmm. like, I pick up Hemingway now and it's, it's hard for me to read. It's hard for me to put my copy of the Weekly New Yorker down to read Hemingway because it's... I don't know. I've read it, so therefore it's it's left an impression on me where I feel like I need something more current right. that's going on to to kind of work with. Um, Hemingway, for sure, fiction-wise. Marquez, fiction-wise, for sure. Mm -hmm. Interesting, I think, and it's funny, I'm glad you mentioned this because I'm, I feel like I'm learning things about myself, actually. All right. Perfect. Um, I was really into George Orwell, and I was into George Orwell because of 1984, obviously, mm -hmm. and because of Animal Farm. Right. George Orwell was an amazing war correspondent. He was an amazing journalist. And he wrote six pieces. No, he probably wrote more than that. I mean, he wrote his collected essays. And then he wrote Homage to Catalonia. He wrote um, uh, Road to Wigan Pier. He wrote all these journalism pieces. He wrote Down and Out in Paris and London, where for three months he actually went and posed as an unskilled chef in Paris and London 
to basically expose how workers in the restaurant industry were treated in that period of time, which was terrible. Yeah. So he was yeah. exposing a lot of these indecencies towards you know right. people that were of lower class or right. whatever. It, it was incredible. But I think how old was that? Those were all um, well. He he wrote one that was on the Spanish Civil War. Um, which was 30s, so probably between the 20s wow. and the in okay. the 40s was when he was out there. Mm -hmm. I think 1984 was written in 47, mm -hmm. so it was 20s and 20s through the 40s probably. But um, those pieces of nonfiction for me led into nonfiction. Once I got hooked on those pieces by Orwell, I'm like, this is this is my deal. This is what I'm going to read. And I kind of just never went back. Yeah. Which I feel bad saying that. There's just so much good nonfiction out there, and it's so relevant to be able to understand what's going on today to be able to to interpret what's going on today the, the one of my favorite books of all time is sandy tolan's the lemon tree which tells the story of she went to, to israel and palestine and she stayed with an israeli family and she stayed with a palestinian family and she told both of their stories oh i'm getting chills even mentioning it it's i was i remember when I read, I, I drink a lot of coffee, and I remember I had to go to the bathroom, and I couldn't put the book down. So I'm in the bathroom reading read this book. book, and I'm bawling, Joe. I'm like, I'm just bawling. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. It was, it was so heartbreaking, but so enlightening to yeah. understand that part of the Middle East and how complicated it is, right. and how, I mean, today, I mean, I'm reading an article in the New Yorker today on, the, I mean, um, Israel and Palestine and, and now Iran and Saudi Arabia and just the whole Middle East. The Middle East fascinates me. Mm -hmm. I love travel writing from the Middle East too, but it's so, that stuff is so relevant and I wish people, I mean, I don't mean to preach, but not right. that I know a lot about it, but it's like, this is so relevant to what's going on in the United States. This right. is so relevant to our economy, to, to what's going on with immigration, to, mm. Not to go on. The no, Lemon Tree, probably for me, my most favorite book of all time, for sure. So if anyone out there needs something to read that is could be potentially really influential, The Lemon Tree by Sandy Tolan. And then anything by George Orwell. I mean, anything that that dude wrote. I mean, he was cynical at times. I get it. He was in a rough period of time. But right. I think it's so telling and so relevant to a lot that is going on in 2018. So not to get off tangent, nah, <laughs> there's, there's a little bit about literature. It's kind of a history repeats itself kind of Yeah, no, kind of I, and that's Orwell's theme in 1984. It's just this sure. perpetual, like, history repeats itself, you know, stay ignorant. It's, right. Yeah, it's crazy. Wow. So. Uh, all right, we'll go to a simpler question. Hardcover, ebook, or audio? And I think I already uh, know the answer here. <laughs> Brent, but, for sure. Yeah. I cannot read. I can't read online. I think it's because I sit in front of the computer all day at Profile, you know, going back and forth. Right. I, I have to have something tangible in front of me. Mm -hmm. I read at two points in the day. It's on my lunch break, and I'm preparing to go to bed, and I have to have something in front of me to, to read. So yeah. yeah, I I agree. I'd rather have a tangible any day. Sure. And my and and part of that part of that answer or question was was for my wife also. <laughs> gotcha. Because <laughs> she works in a library, and she has for yeah. 15, 16 years. Mm -hmm. She does children's programs, but she obviously brings home tons of books for uh -huh. herself. But um, libraries struggle, and it's to survive. And unfortunately, I'm I'm a little concerned with it. Even in our small town, actually, small town should probably be more concerned with it because they turn things more into regional. Sure. You know, it, I wouldn't be surprised if libraries libraries in my area started to consolidate over yeah. time. But um, there's only two demographics at the library anymore. Yeah. 
well, with you there's three. <laughs> <laughs> but there's the there's the the ten and under. Maybe, yeah, of course. Maybe like eleven and under, and then uh, they're tires. And then pretty much, yeah. well, you know, my age, like late late forties on. It's, <coughs> but uh, it's sad. You know, most people. I think the most patrons that come in are, are for the computers. Yeah. To use the services, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I, I knew the answer to the question. I just wanted. To it's funny too, as a side note as well. I have a hard time buying used books, and I'll tell you why. Um, mm-hmm. I like new books because for me they're like vinyl, mm-hmm. and it's 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 going to be something that I'm going to display. We've got a really big bookshelf at our house, and it's not. A new book for me is so exciting. I know this is going to sound cheesy, but when I'm done with it, it's like almost a little trophy I've gotten. Where I'm like, I've gotten through this. I've comprehended yeah. it. I hope it adds, you know, reflects something or like adds something to my life. And I sure. put it up on the shelf and almost have it as a conversation piece for mm-hmm. when people come in. Like, oh, let me tell you about this. You sure. Know? So, yeah. So. I, you know, we only have, my wife's great at sorting and making sure the ones that aren't. Let's just say my uh, my Lance Armstrong book is like way at the bottom, <laughs> you know. But uh, but yeah, the ones that really mean something are, are on the bookshelf for sure. sure. We we have but, too many. Don't get me wrong. I need to get rid of some, but it's like it's so hard to part with. Again, it's like vinyl. It's like I can't uh, I can't get rid of this. I'm I never have, gonna read it again. But I can't get rid of I it. I have boxes of vinyl. Yeah, boxes. Um, I was on a vinyl kick for a while, and it's it's everything from from jazz to. If, gosh, it goes there to, to classic rock. It's just all—it's all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's—I uh, I got a lot of it. And Mark Choquette wants it. I know he does. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Mark Choquette's like, you know, if you're not gonna listen to these, because <laughs> Mark's a big vinyl fan. Yeah, too. I knew that. Yeah. Awesome. He's—he's so he's a, a really good guy. He's from Connecticut. Yep. Um, I haven't I th- seen him in years, but no. looked up to that dude a lot, man. What? Yeah. Such a style cat. Yeah. Awesome. He. Uh, he does keep pretty active on Instagram, and I love just all the stuff he does with his son. Mm-hmm. It just reminds me, in a way, of the of the Hallihans. Uh, sure. The way he's raising his son, so it's uh, it's good to see. Um, so besides, tell me about the time which you were contributing on. What else have you uh, either written? Unless this question's unless the answer is going to be longer than you feel you have time for. How many things have you contributed to, or or just strictly authored yourself, um, published? There's, I mean, there's not much really. I wrote for a poetry journal when I was in college. I just submitted, mm-hmm. you know, random pieces to that, and then I put out um, "Collapsing the Whatever" in 2014. I think was when I That's put it out. That's one I don't have. I'll get to send you a copy. Uh, I wrote right. that for two years. That was the most excruciating thing I've ever done. And really? Crandall and I are currently working on a split project that has no definitive end because we're both so busy. It's hard to set a date for it. I just spent a week. He's not busy. Don't even start. No, just kidding. Well, here's the deal with Crandall, though, too. He's got <laughs> he's got five books written. I mean, his... Really? His ent- yeah, his entries in at the in the least most are like... Talking about the other day, I'm like, you, you have it done. Yeah. All these stories are incredible. Mm-hmm. But he wants to write new material, which I get. Mm-hmm. So I've got, a, I've got three more pieces. Three, two are laid out. One, I've got a completely conjure and one could potentially be a trip that he and I are going on okay. that will end it and the idea is if it comes to fruition is which I'm, I'm pretty confident it will mm-hmm. we want to do a split book that has two different covers in reverse where they end on themselves nice and the last story will be on a trip that we take together same same trip different stories 
Nice. So, um, but it was collapsing of the whatever, which I, I worked on for two years. And mm -hmm. my whole deal for that was I set a deadline every two weeks for an entry, which was excruciating. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember one, I got um, asked to, to judge a contest and I dragged my wife Ariel to it. Oh, so she was down there with me and I remember waking up incredibly early in the morning because I'm like, I have to fit in an hour and a half of writing. Right. So I woke up Saturday morning, went uh -huh. and wrote, worked on the story and then went and judged, went and judged a contest all day. But neither here nor there, sorry. So Collapsing of the Whatever came out in 2014. That was 40 short stories, nonfiction that I had written. And then I had the idea about 40, a year after that. 40 short stories, that's a lot. But they're short. I mean, they're not super long. You know, mm -hmm. they're a page to a couple pages long, which I like short reading. I like nuggets of information. Mm -hmm. And then uh, after that, about a year later, I solicited everyone that I knew that might be interested. And I said, hey, I want to do this project called Let Me Tell You About the Time. That stories about BMX. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were contributing to it, and I, I bought a copy, mm -hmm. but I'm a giver, so I gave my copy to uh, Derek from um, Massachusetts. Gotcha. Derek, um, Oakwoods, Derek, and uh, no, but they're hard to find. So yeah, yeah, we yeah we didn't do that. I only I think I published 300 copies. Yeah. Because I felt weird. It's a lot of work, obviously, and to right. be able I I I did it on my old record label plea that was my that's what I'm doing oh, for okay. publishing now and right. I wanted it to be all Empire took some Tom and Tina took some and mm -hmm. then I had a, a German distributor take some I really kept it to a personal level though like sure. all the books I sent out were like I'm going to write you a letter or a note and right. I'm going to send you this physical copy of a book here you go so that was really time consuming there's better, no other way I could do it I better get mine back from Derek then <laughs> because so, I'm sure you wrote in it well, I felt weird too because you know I my goal is to break even on these projects. Sure. It's by no means like I'm. I just want to break even because I really enjoy doing this and I want someone to have a tangible copy of just uh -huh. something I've created as an art piece. Right. In that book's case, it was twenty submissions as an art piece. Here right. you go, and we got to three hundred, and I'm like, I'm just going to call it a day at that. We're just mm -hmm. going to make it three hundred copies. I'm going to get copies to everyone who contributed. If mm -hmm. they want to sell them, I don't care. If you sure. want to give them away, that's fine. I just want to break even yeah. on this. Yeah. So uh, that was the second piece. I put out a bunch of uh, I put out a bunch of chat books in the '90s, so I did a bunch of poetry chat books when we were really? on tour. So I would hand out like, "Oh, you're into the band." Um, these lyrics kind of coincide to this chat book that I put uh -huh. out. Here you go. So I'd hand those out, and then Crandall and I's split piece will be the third the third printing. And I think all good things come in threes. So I think after this, I'm probably just going to call it. Yeah. Writing is really really hard for me. I actually I actually fear it. I really do. It's really? so difficult for me. I've been. This last story I'm working on, not the last one, the latest story I'm working on is, I, I text Crandall every time on my computer just to like, I'm just giving you an update, I'm working on this, I promise, but it's mm -hmm. like, I get so much anxiety when I'm at work thinking at four o'clock I'm leaving here to go write. I mean, it makes me anxious. I'm like, oh my gosh, I know what I want to write. It's just the process of getting there yeah, is right. so hard for me. Right. So, um, but yeah, that's it as far as publications go. So I think this, this once we get this project done, Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll do another. It's not going to be for a long time. Sure. But um, also, I can't have it take away from reading. <laughs> like, yeah, reading right. is such an important part of my life, and I read slow, so it's hard to break away from my scheduled reading to go write, and I'm on a very regimented schedule. Like, I do the same things every single day at the yeah. same time. So. Right. But yeah. Right. Long story short, there you go. It's so. a long story that's good, because cool. I didn't realize it was a project coming. Yeah. So this is this is awesome. Yeah, fingers crossed. I mean, again, yeah. Crandall's good. He's been good for five years. I just got to get my button gear to get these other three written. Mm -hmm. So uh, it'll get there. 
Actually, even talking about it, it's kind of giving me motivation to get back and start working on it. So cool. We're all good. I can't. I definitely can't wait cool. to see it. Um, that'll be great. Um, I'm gonna say. Well, you and I talked about the Civil War. Um, you have some interest in the Civil War as well, right? I do. Um, you know, and it's more recent because my mom, my mom out of nowhere goes, you know, where I really want to go Gettysburg. I'm like, that's bizarre. <laughs> Let's go to Gettysburg. Right. So we flew up there a month ago and, um, it, it was a rough trip. My wife was not stoked, um, because of the complications of the Civil War. You know, we go into the War Memorial Museum. Have you been? No, not to Gettysburg. The War Memorial Museum, Gettysburg's phenomenal. The War Memorial Museum there is unbelievable. It's mm-hmm. it's a state, it's a it's a national park. It's run by the national park system. Mm-hmm. It's phenomenal. I mean, it takes you. It would take you five to eight hours to get through it and not be bored. Like right. you're like enveloped by the information. But you know, there's one room on slavery. Yeah. Which was good, but it's like <clears throat> you go into town. There's rebel flags. There's Civil War enactors. She was really pissed off about that. She's like, do you think... Actually, I won't even go into that. That's I won't right. even go into that. that that'll, that'll rub people the wrong way. But, like, I feel like regardless of where you come from with states' rights and whatnot, and I won't go too much on a tangent sure. on this, like, the Civil War was based on slavery. No, yeah. m- no matter which way you cut it, that's the issue. That's the topic. And when you go to Gettysburg, there's not much of that there. Right. And it's like, I get it. There are thousands, thousands and thousands of people that died here. And it's terrible. War is terrible. But it's like, man, more people need to come here. More people that are not white need to come here to experience this because it's, yeah. But yeah, I do like the Civil War. I don't, I mean, the the topics that, you know, the overall topics of the Civil War I understand, getting into it, it's it's still an open book for me. I'm still diving in because... Mm -hmm. You know, especially with what's going on today, like, it's such an important part of American history. It's such an it important is. part of world history. Yeah. You know, especially going to the civil rights movement in the 60s because it was like, all those issues are still here. Mm-hmm. And we're still fighting them. And right. It's, I won't go into that. I don't want to round anyone up I've on... I've uh, ton of Civil War books. I should just yeah. send you a box because in, in college I did a, I did a paper on... Oh, um, what the cause of the Civil War was. Yeah. So um, so I have, I have lots of books. And I actually, I was in Chicago once for work and um and searched out searched out the uh the lincoln bookstore have you ever heard of that no uh uh-uh. yeah it's it's the lincoln bookstore and it's it's basically all, all lincoln all the time it's, yeah it's lincoln 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 lots of war stuff cool. that'll just make your life even more difficult gettysburg is mandatory i think for everyone for sure yeah. um just going to the graveyard that was just getting built where the gettysburg address was mm-hmm. recited reading the gettysburg address there I mean, I'm I'm almost getting teared up thinking about it. It's yeah. incredible. Like, I'm, oh my gosh, it was so moving. It was so moving to see the photo and to hear someone else recite it. Like, oh my gosh, this is like such a foundational piece. And it was a throwaway piece by Lincoln. He was just like, yeah. this sucks. This right. is this is lame. <laughs> Here I go. And it's like, no, dude, oh, this man. is the most recited speech in American history. Right now, right. you're reciting it. Like in our town, we still it's recited every Memorial Day. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And incredible. usually by a high school senior. Yeah. You recite it. it. It's it's good. Yeah. Uh, oh gosh. Yeah, we'll go over that after after we stop recording. I'll tell you all the the, the literature I've been subjected to <laughs> through school. Everything from Chaucer to oh my gosh. Actually, Chaucer was the most painful one. Gotcha. But and I had to read it in Middle English. What? Yeah. 
in middle English. But so, wh- what? When were you reading this? In college. Oh my gosh, man! Yeah, that's brutal. it was a Chaucer course. <sighs> yeah. Wow. It it was it was intense. Sure. It was an English minor, not a major, and yeah. I still felt like I did some major stuff. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Just to suck it up and pass that class was so... It, it took a lot of work. Sure. And, of course, when you go as an adult, because I didn't go to college until I was 27, mm-hmm. and I went all the way through, got my bachelor's, and um, but fortunately I went then because I, I couldn't have grasped and really gotten enough out of classes like that. Yep earlier on in my life I just wasn't ready yet people some people just bloom later sure so uh anyway there's there's some funny stuff that that I read so we can uh we can switch to BMX I feel bad too about these mosquitoes sorry I don't care okay cool no as my wife says she's like you stink they don't even go near you (laughs) so so we're we're gonna switch to BMX so who's hung in here yet (laughs) so far um but we're gonna switch to BMX so uh, we talked about how you got into BMX. Mm-hmm. Definitely want to talk about profile, so we could do that if you'd like. You've been there for 20 years, which I know. I have been with the brand for 20 years. I've been working at Profile for 17. So oh, wow. I've been in the factory for 17, but I got hooked up with Profile 98. So okay. that's the 20 years. Because, I mean, I've been doing stuff with them, but sure. I was brought on as a full-time employee in 2001. Were so. you a rep or something? No, no, I just rode for him. Oh, just, I, I got you. Yeah, I rode for, for Profile. Jeff Harrington brought me on board. Uh, uh-huh. We did all the road trips together. We did a lot of the promotions for Profile, you know, on the the riding end of things, you know, connecting right. to people and whatnot. And then he was there six months before he was planning to leave for FBM. They brought me in to fill his position. And then he left. And then literally Jim Clamp came in one morning and he's like, all right, here you go. You're running the team. You're running in-house sales and I'm like I just got done working at Dunkin Donuts I'm like uh so you went from rider to pr- pretty yeah much. I mean but rider loosely I mean I, I was you know I just rode I rode for profile it's not like I was yeah, yeah. their full-time dude or anything but sure. um I finished school I got a job actually the funny enough the day I got a job at profile was the day I got a job at the Hartford insurance company because I had given up on being a teacher at that point because wow. I couldn't I was so bummed at my results in the GRE where Ariel, my wife, was like, accepted to UF. She's in grad school at UF, you know, two hours away. And I'm yeah. like, what, what am I doing with my life? Right, right. So uh, I got that job at the Hartford, and then Jim called that same day, and he's like, you want a job? The same you know? day. Oh. And it was like, it was honestly like half, half of what the Hartford was right, giving me. And I'm like, right. sell insurance, hang out at a bike company. I'm hanging out at a bike company. Yeah. So um, that's yeah. what I did. It's, I mean, they treat me awesome, but it was like funny, the dichotomy. You know, I went in kind of as a, all right, this is just a temporary job I'm going to have, sure. you know, to get through to whatever I'm going to do. And then it's like, here I am. And the yeah. company may not be here in 10 years or whatever. Because yeah, yeah, totally. at that time, especially at that time, going through that wave of like whatever brand it was, just, just popping up and dying off, popping sure. up, dying off. Um, so anyway, it had to have been, it, I would understand why you'd have a thought of this may not be, this might just be a stepping stone or yeah or just filling at least the experience sure yeah so so how <laughs> soon so what different jobs have you done at profile um i mean honestly i've pretty much done everything except manufacturing i'm not a machinist i have no without have no, without the general public knowing what actually happens at profile in florida we profile 
in St. Petersburg, Florida, is the manufacturer of Profile. Everything is done in our factory. So everything's uh, domestic. You know, nothing. Everything's nothing. domestic. Madeira is domestic, which is a common um, misconception that it's made overseas. It's not. It's made at our factory. We just make it with less aesthetic detail to make it less expensive. Mm -hmm. um, everything we do there is done by our machinists. We have four full-time machinists, and they built out parts all day. Wow. And then we have people who collate it to go to finishers. We we go to 34 local finishers, mm -hmm. from black oxide to paint to anodizing to heat treating to nickel plating to mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. Um, we all kind of chip in. There's not many people at Profile, so we all wear 20 hats. Sure. But I handle the freestyle team. I handle our social media. Most of that, actually. Mm -hmm. I handle a lot of the correspondence. I actually, on days when dudes are out, I'm building orders. I'm physically like when Vic and Kara or Dick Malls, mm -hmm. Fat Tracks, or anyone from Mike Nasisco at Tony's, like right. when they have an order, I, if they're not there, I physically have to stop what I'm doing and go physically build their pick, order. Pick it, label it. Build it from the bottom up. I mean, I'm talking like go in there, physically pull the parts together and build a hub by my by hand. Oh, package because it. now you've got, nowadays you've got, uh, you've got a bear hub and then you, yep. and you build it out from there. Exactly. Nothing, the... we do not stock anything. Nothing there is stocked. So it's literally, it's stuff that I'm having to collate to build up physically and to package up and ship out. So some orders, I mean, if I get, say, a big shop order, I could be building for four hours. I see. So I have to put everything else aside to get an order done. Meanwhile, I'm getting phone calls from other shops saying, I also need this size order sent out today. And I'm like, uh, whoa, I, I don't think I can do this today, yeah, man. Right, so right. So that's what I'm balancing on a daily basis. So on trips like this yeah. for me, when I'm doing stuff with the team, it's, it's difficult to leave oh, yeah. because I have to come back to, even though I'm doing work, I wake up at, I'm staying with Vic and Karen. I'm waking up at, you know, five, five forty-five to start work at six, even though I'm getting three hours of work done sure. in the morning, it's still really rough to come back to. I bet. So yeah, I bet because someone there is dealing with the same thing you deal exactly. with when they're not there. Exactly. Yeah. So, wow. But I love it. I mean, I love being busy. I mean, sure. boredom is the root of all evil. Is you know, I think it's yeah, the yeah, Kierkegaard yeah. saying, <laughs> right. Kierkegaard quote. But uh -huh. yeah, it's great. I love it. And what exactly does profile make? Because some things have dropped off. Obviously, mm -hmm. well, I shouldn't say obviously. You don't make frames anymore, right? No. Frames have... There have been like three different periods of frame manufacturing. <clears throat> uh, the last frame manufacturing we did was actually outsourced to Brew in North Carolina. Okay. And that was the first time that Jim ever outsourced okay. any production like that. I mean, they were still American-made. They were just made in North Carolina. Sure. And it just wasn't our strong suit. We mm -hmm. just stuck with componentry because we could... The quality controls there. The manufacturing manipulation is there mm -hmm. prototyping's there i mean we can physically i've seen prototypes come out in a day like we go in with an idea mm -hmm. dave fisher had machinist gets on the machine and then eight hours later i have a physical prototype to give to a writer uh, which is awesome yeah you know and it speeds up the processing of potentially getting product out so i gotcha yeah wow but you do remember the old days of when profile frames in the late 80s 90s maybe not late 80s you'd remember but late 80s early 90s <clears throat> Everybody had a profile frame. This is on the racing end. Yeah, sure. It. I had myself. I'm sure I had three or four of them. That's awesome. So, between cruisers and, and twenty inch. Yep. But uh, everybody had them. It, they were just everywhere. It At that point in time, I'm doing this series with Jim, the owner. If you haven't caught it, it's called From the Dungeon. Um, our old original profile building, which is six buildings down, is called the Dungeon. That's what okay. we named it, and it's it's like a museum. 
but I'm going in there with him and I am literally putting him in front of a camera and candidly giving him a question and he answers it and the stuff he's telling me is mind-blowing like the last one we just did was on the creation of the first 19 mil 48 spined crank spindle which profile made wow (coughs) it was his processing of doing it I was my mind was blown I'm like filming it going like my jaws dropping I'm like I can't believe what you're telling me right now because I don't know any of this stuff he's like sure (coughs) excuse me he's done it for so long that it's just old hat to him yeah and he doesn't think people are interested in it well of course we're all interested in it because it's iconic you know it's historic right so um so with the frame manufacturing at that point they had four four full-time welders in house that were just that's all they did it was like S&M you know they got four dudes set up in queues or cubicles and they're just banging out frames all the uh, chrome went down to Miami. He said at one point during the the peak of their frame production, they would have a container drive from Miami to pick up a container's worth of frames to take to get chromed That's in Miami. Amazing. Crazy, crazy. Well, it makes crazy. sense because of what I saw in the Northeast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, and of course, when I traveled, I mean, saw them everywhere. But uh, wow, that's amazing. So that must all of that, all of that production, and all that positive uh, capital must have helped him stay alive and start start to adapt into yeah. what you're doing now. Yeah, totally, Which, absolutely. I mean, there was the trough, you know, when BMX pretty much died mm. in the early 90s where it's interesting because I'm getting into, I'm doing, because it's Profile's 50th year mm-hmm. in business, I've been doing a year's worth of history. So every week I produce a new historical content piece on that year. <laughs> so right now we're you at just 19. throw that in your spare time, huh? Yeah, that's a lot of work. Last uh, this week, I put up 1991, which was Profile's first solid chain wheel, first okay. rocket. But before that, it was the deal that Jim made with GT, with him sitting down. I mean, he told me the whole story of how it went down, like him basically the inception of Profile making GT cranks, and it was those Power Series cranks. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they were Power Series. They were whatever GT cranks came out in the early 90s. They were basically GT stamp Profile cranks. You know what? If they weren't aluminum then uh they weren't i don't believe they were power the, the power series you're right they were aluminum yeah these were 4130 chromali yeah so crank arms I they did it for three years i think they did it from 91 or 92 to 94 95 they also did okay. profile made power light cranks at that time and mm-hmm. they also made fusion cranks too and they also made really? cross cranks which i didn't know so they were belted out that really wow. brought profile back up because that was when bmx just died Know, so that really brought things back in and Jim is a um, an auto parts manufacturer he makes steering gears for oval track cars that's what profile racing is oh okay. so a lot of people are like you know younger freestyle dudes are like sure. I don't understand why it's profile racing it's because that's the company name like we're right, we're right. a bike company by default because that's what we evolved into but we are literally a race car parts company right so right. I was telling it was Chris Childs and I had a conversation about it this morning as well because I don't think he knew the history mm-hmm. and I was talking to him about that as well and I'm mm-hmm. like I just want all of our dudes to understand that like we don't work like a normal BMX company because it's literally you're walking into a machine shop right and we're producing stuff and it's like all this other stuff is kind of happening happening peripherally you know sure so, that anyways. makes sense no yeah. it makes tons of sense yeah. and fortunately he was able like I said able to reinvest and, and be tooled up for the next step yeah, absolutely. So that, that, yep. that had to have helped a lot. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see. How about... This might be too in-depth, but it's, it's something I wrote down. How did the business evolve as far as product popularity and profitability? 
cranks, hubs, etc. So I guess I think what I was thinking when I wrote this is there is there a key product that was kind of um, the anchor, and then you kind of built off of that. So I would say cranks, but yeah, cranks for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that if allowed anything, you cranks. to get into hubs. Yeah, and... hubs came in the mid '90s. Well, actually, hubs came in the early '80s because they first oh. did the Gyrolite One and the Gyrolite Two hubs, oh. which were freewheel hubs. Yes. Yep. And those yep. came out in, if I'm not mistaken, I would have to go back to my, my history I've been doing. I think it was like 81, 82, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. They did the gyrolites. And then that died off because frame production picked up. Right. And then cassette, and then they did uh, drive-by hubs and freewheel hubs again in the early 90s, which did good. And then the cassette hub, which was right. created in the mid-90s, was really what propelled the drivetrain to right. where profiles, cranks, hubs, sprocket mm -hmm. and then later stem not that it's part of the drivetrain became mm -hmm. like the almost like the hockey stick of profile you know sure where all the stuff in that in that line became our our staple essentially I so, gotcha. yeah so cranks for sure cranks were like yeah. the lead-in and then hubs hubs and cranks right now are definitely what drive drive everything and the cranks really haven't changed that much over the years very right? minimally i think i the, mean aside from different size bottom brackets but, yes yes the but 19 the spindle mil, is still the same the 19 mil spindle is yes the 19 mil cranks are in their third avatar uh, they're gen threes and they i think went into production originally in like 94 95 really and it hasn't really changed since oh no. yeah. yeah i i i picked up some when i got back into it and um they didn't look any different, you yeah, know, for the not, most part. It's to, the same to the tooling, average eye. it's the same, some of the same people doing it. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. I mean, we we do 22 mil column cranks. We do the Bantams from Madeira, which are all the same tooling, yeah. but they're 22 mil. Uh, you know, it's like a bigger version of the 19 mil. But yeah, the 19 mil crank is still the 19 mil crank that was made in 94, yeah. 95. Yeah. That's wild. So, Do you have any idea of the volume of frames that were going through that place? I know we talked about picking yeah. up a container, but... I asked like, him this the other day, and he had you? no idea. He's like, man, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. Don't. Yeah. He didn't serial number any of them, so there's no way to know. That's the one thing I actually, when I went to Spring Fling, I hate to say this, this was my first Spring Fling this year. Yeah. And the reason I went was because of our 50th. That mm -hmm. that time frame in BMX for me, I feel like like a student, like you said. You go sure. in there, and I'm like, I'm learning things. But I feel like I have no connectivity there because I'm like, I'm the younger dude there. Mm -hmm. But going there, I was, you know, I was taking notes, and I'm like, that's one of the questions that I need to get answered. It's like, yeah, Profile never did searing, serial numbers on frames, so there's no way to know. So. I interviewed Mark Zalewski for this podcast, and same thing. He's not sure exactly, yeah. you know, what they had for, for frame count, but uh, they were selling a lot of TNTs back in the day, the yep. same time frame that Profile was selling, and maybe a little after. And then they started to go aluminum, too. But... Uh, I don't, and the reason I I'd like to bring it up is because I don't think people realize the numbers of bikes that used to be turned compared to now. Yeah, yeah, sure. I don't mean this in a negative way. It's it's life. It's the way that the sport has evolved. But it, of course, now you could say one of the reasons is because it's so spread out among so many manufacturers. Sure. There isn't one. There were only a couple major manufacturers that were turning real big numbers back sure. then. Yeah, yeah. And now it's you're you spread you're cutting this pie into smaller slices. So sure. It's, so it, maybe it's still adding up to a good number. I, I don't know. It's inter interesting too to think of how uh, disposable frames are now too. 
Yeah. You know, not in a bad way because right. if you you know you're lightening up frames and it's like you you're you're probably in the way BMX has progressed on the freestyle and it's like six months in you're probably about that threshold. You know, it's like to be safe. You know, because if, if you're really riding it hard. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, standards. You know, the joke is standards were built to last you five years and they were. Yeah. But it's like that was when a frame was seven eight pounds. Right. <laughs> now right. it's like frames are four or five pounds. It's yeah. Like, yeah. It cuts that time in half. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to think now because people go through a lot of frames for good measure, you know, for good yeah. reason. So, man, I interviewed the Potosnies in uh, Pittsburgh, and they, God, they put the fear in me. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm riding jinxed, although nothing's happened yet. Yeah, sure. But they told me they're like, you got to replace your bars like almost every year yeah. and pedals, you know, because especially the with the, the leverage pedal. on bars getting big too. I don't think a lot yeah. of people realize, like I hear a lot of people complaining about their bars slipping and a lot of bars breaking. It's because it's a 10 inch, 10 inch lever. I yeah, mean, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Right. I ride low bars, but yeah, yeah, it's still, even with low bars, there's still a lot of stress. It's especially sure. when you're, when you're me trying to ride trails at times, <laughs> some, some sets, you know, put a little, put a little uh, compromising on those sure. parts, but, but they were talking about bars, forks. Yep on pedals cranks mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of key stressors and stress points absolutely and i'm like i you know i i got this stuff thinking oh, i'll ride it for you know it's right till i'm 50 and then i'll maybe i'll decide to slow down yeah yeah and i'm thinking wait a minute if i don't replace some of these parts more often i'm not going to make it till 50 <laughs> but uh but anyway how about oh how about the question i forget who said it up there do you have any female riders on oh, the Kara, team? Oh, Kara Betancourt asked. Um, oh, it was, it yeah, was a it was question Kara. sent from her. Yep. Um, we we flow a couple women. Mm -hmm. um, we're actually going right now. Profile's going through, I, I feel, a little transitional period. We, uh, had a, we had a couple team shifts this year uh, from Profile to Madeira. Mm -hmm. And this year, and one of the reasons I'm up here is because we're kind of laying, laying framework kind of to... Profile, I feel, is, and in, in, I hope this doesn't come off wrong, it's, I feel that Profile's always been kind of a general BMX company. We're mm -hmm. not, we're, we're, I, I like to involve everyone. I, sure. you know, I like to help out people ride vert. Like, I love flat. I love helping out flat riders. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually one of my, I can't do it, but I love watching and I love hearing about flat. Right. And then <clears throat> street, park, uh, dirt, you know, everyone in general. And I feel right now, too, like it's awesome to see this there's a not that it's never it hasn't been there it always has been the women's movement in bmx is getting so much stronger now and mm. yeah that is something we've considered not necessarily because we haven't considered it before but because of the way you have to balance how a team works for promotions profile it's hard to to describe how we work our promotions on the bmx side of things because we don't work like a traditional all right we're getting a team together right and we're going to take these dudes to a spot it's right. like, it's kind of like choose your own destination or not destination, choose your own adventure. Remember right. those books that used to get yeah. kids? Like it's a choose your own adventure. Like we're bringing you on board and we want you to do what you want to do. And while you're doing that, promote the brand. Mm -hmm. And I feel that I'm getting to that point where all of our guys are these autonomous figures. So instead of me having to call everyone, not call, but corral everyone together and mm -hmm. like, let's do a team trip. It's not going to work that way. I'm going to fly to... New England, I'm going to get with our New England dudes. I'm going to fly to California, get with the California dudes. Oh, um, and just deal with it regionally? Yeah, and deal with it regionally. and But also have, like, for someone of not necessarily a different genre, but someone who's kind of doing their own thing, 
allow to give allows to give them support to just do your own thing. Like mm-hmm. I don't need to be there to help you do it. You're awesome. You're going to do it on your own. I just need to figure out how to allow you to help you do that essentially. Yeah, yeah. So going right. back to the question, yeah, we we actually we we just started. We I mean we've always flowed uh, a, a couple women off the top of my head parts, but there's mm-hmm. a couple women that we are definitely considering to move forward with that new game plan of ours. I can't release anything because we no, have other okay. people that we're working on in general right now that we're going to have some future press releases on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, good question from Kara, and yes, yes, for sure we are. That's good so, news. Mm. I've definitely interviewed for the podcast quite a few women because just intrigued by this whole, we'll call it a movement, but they've always been there. It's just now they're really sure, absolutely banding together uh, for the sake of playing off each other and just... Yep. You know, showing up as a group and just having as much fun as possible. That's it's a, it's as simple as that, and they're sure they're doing a great job. I at think it. for us too, like with the, like the idea of why I had to give up team trips is because, and this is this I think all coincides to it. But like bringing say Alexi from France over, who's predominantly a flat rider but also rides ledges. Mm-hmm. Like I can't I can't put him together with Brian Fox. Right. Brian Fox rides big ramp. That's mm-hmm. it. I can't put them together. I'm like, right. all right, dudes. Yeah. Let's go on a road trip. It's not right. gonna work. Right. You know, I need to take these dudes individually. All right, Alexa, you're going to come here. I'm going to just film with you for a week. Or Brian, I'm going to go with you on the road. Or Mark Mulville, you and I are going to go out on the road together. And for a week, I'm just going to concentrate on you. That's how we've been leaning towards things. So I just got to figure that out with other people. And if they're, A, comfortable with doing that, if that's something we're even into. Because some people don't like riding that way. Some people right. need a group of, of other riders that are there to stoke them on doing stuff. Right. You know, right. we're not the brand that's looking for anyone trying to reinvent the book, you know, or or not reinvent the book, but, you know, just reinvent BMX or anything. We just want riders that are stoked on what we do, Mm -hmm. stoked on riding bikes, and stoked to be around people. Right. That's it. Sorry, that's a long-winded question. No, no. I'm I'm definitely good with it. Bob! Borrow you real quick? (laughs) Hey, Bob. uh, Can I ask you a favor real quick before it gets dark? Can I have you... Joe and see if you can grab a photo of us real quick. Thank you so much, man. We're getting there. Sorry, we're almost done. We got like 20 minutes. You probably have... Are you guys on The cops with the dogs, German yeah. Shepherds. We were like... That's what was going on? Yeah. We were doing our thing, and then they like rolled in, the cop walked the tree line, went in there, like was hiding, made some like hand gestures at like the other cops, and they like were training the canines. Crazy. Ah. The dog walked and we like, why are they coming here? <laughs> yeah. like, why don't they walk up on them doing the interview? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> what are you guys doing over here? Uh, yeah, really. And, and just having a beautiful conversation. Two of the least likely guys to ever get into any kind of trouble. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's like, we're the ones that'll get busted, you know? So oh, we're man, just... You guys are at a beautiful location. Well, we're just going to... I'm going to ask you another question. Oh, so yeah. this is from Josh Hayes. He says, as a guy who, who is literally doing the job of 10 people, <laughs> how do you stay motivated on BMX and have the stamina to ride every day? That's a really good question. Thanks, Josh. Um, yeah. um, I think it's... I think it's. It Work motivates me to ride, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I get out of work. That's all I want to do. I just want to go ride. That's actually why I'm having a hard time finishing these book writing projects. Yeah, right, Crandall, right. I'm like, I just want to ride bikes. Yeah. Um, we're going to do a, actually. Oh, yeah. We sorry, need? we're going to try to pick up on that thought. But so Bobby can go back. We'll just do a, a quick. Oh, stand up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to go uh, non-dad. Yeah, see, you're a kid. You're a perfect kid. <laughs> you turn the phone sideways. But we're just going to uh, 
It's awesome. Awesome. Perfect. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate yeah, it. We'll be done shortly. I don't right. think you have my number, so you could just send it to Matt, and then Matt will send it to me. Blah, blah, blah. You know, the if whole thing. If you have an iPhone, I can just airdrop it. After, though, yeah. definitely. Thanks, Thanks, Bob. Of course. Hey, and by the way, I asked your question to Steve Crandall last week. He said you better start bringing a lot of pizzas to Richmond if you want another bike. <laughs> <Not like that. laughs> I should have waited until you heard it on the podcast, but. Oh, man, that'd be so funny. <laughs> He was funny. He was he was a lot of fun to interview. But uh, I'd go down to. He kind of is, you know. Yeah, he actually very he, much so. He's he's like the story of Into the Wild, but there's a better ending. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, what that's I mean? a really good analogy, actually. <laughs> that's amazing. Have yeah. you told him that? You should tell him that. No, no I'll tell him. To, I'll have to text him that. That that through my conversation with Bobby. I just realized that. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. Yeah, it's the wild with a better ending. He knows what he's eating. He's not eating the uh, the poisonous fruit. Um, so anyway, so I'm sorry. So why don't we we could start over on that question? As a, a Josh Hayes wants to know, as a guy who is literally doing the job of ten people, how do you stay motivated on BMX and have the stamina to ride every day? Um, work definitely motivates me. I think having setting goals at work and getting to them every day really stokes me. As, as ridiculous as that sounds, I just set a goal. If I can get to it, I'm just, I don't know, it gets me really amped to go ride after work. Definitely the people that I ride with. Uh, I do ride a lot alone, but the, the people that I do ride with when I meet up with folks to ride, like my buddy Eric right now, my buddy Steve, like, they get me really, really stoked. Of like minds, you know, we're not we're not out trying to do banger stuff we're just having a good time riding sometimes we just pedal you know last week before this trip I hurt my foot I rode every day two of the days I just pedaled I literally parked my car and I pedaled for 15 miles you know just to pedal so I think BMX bike yeah 15 miles on yeah, the BMX love it. love it I just love pedaling through Tampa Bay man it's so much fun wow. so um I don't know if that really answers the question I'm just so stoked on BMX I'm so stoked on I don't know, man. I mean, even going back to the, the the touring and the punk days, like this is it for me. Yeah. This is this is this is punk rock. This is touring for me. You know, I go out with my buddies every day instead of band practice. I'm going out and riding every day. So you know right? what? I, I'm going to jump to a Kara Betancourt question because she asked, "How is it? How has being a part of the the punk slash DIY community influenced the way you participate in the BMX community, or how you view your job at Profile?" And that does play into what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean friendship has a lot to do with that mm -hmm. I think being surrounded by really really awesome people mm -hmm. you know I mean I haven't known you for long but you're part of that as well like we have this amazing community here and it's I mean it's an honor to be up here around you know Matt today Horak and Seth Bernard and being able Bobby took a week off to be on the road with me it's like yeah friendship man it's great you know it's so awesome and I feel I just feel honored to be enveloped by those people stemming from that idea of punk rock. Like we would go, we'd be touring and we'd go to a place in Nebraska and we'd play Lincoln and then by the end of the night we'd have 50 new friends. Yeah. You know, who I kept in contact with. So, um, I don't know if that answered that question it does. either. But no, yeah, it friendship for does. sure. Absolutely. The idea of friendship out of punk rock and into BMX is uh -huh. definitely the motivator, the stoke maker, all that. Yeah, for sure. Right. Gotcha. Well, speaking of meeting a lot of people, Josh Hayes wants to know which van smells worse, touring van with your band throughout Europe while, while squatting or, or a van full of BMX dudes? <laughs> the tours, for sure. <laughs> okay. Most definitely. 
because there were days. It's funny. There was a. I, I read an interview with some band. It's like when you tour, you wake up, you eat breakfast, you drive all day, you play a show, you get incredibly sweaty, you go to sleep, and then you repeat that. And it's like, that's what you did. Sometimes you didn't shower for a week. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the band stuff for sure. Okay. Well, actually not with Bobby though. Bobby, I don't think he showered in like three days, but that's my choice. It's just because he doesn't feel like it, so. Yeah, right. But the car actually, believe it or not, my car still, my rental car, I should say, still smells good. But yeah, bands for sure. Well, you're on Wednesday. Yeah, yeah true. Well. True. <laughs> You may have to get to that full week mark on on Saturday yeah, yeah. before it really kicks in, before before uh, Bobby really kicks in. Uh, let's see. Let's jump to. Let's jump to. There's only a couple more questions. No worries. What's the raddest thing you found in the profile archive so far? And this oh, is a question man. from Josh. Cool. Another good question. Um. That, that spindle was probably, being able to hold that spindle in my hand, the right. first 48 spline 19 mil crank spindle for me was, that was it. I'm like, I, this is this is amazing. And what year was that made again? Uh, that was made in like 1980, I believe. That's amazing. So it, just the fact that Jim still had it, you know, and he still had the tool that made it, it was incredible. That was it. Um, the next one that I'm doing for From the Dungeon is on the horseshoe pedals, which is a very short-lived pedal that Profile did that is, it's amazing. The processing that went into it is so, it's like medieval. It's yeah. so arcane. It's like, why all this processing going into it? Sure. But when Jim told me about those pedals, mm -hmm. that was amazing, but seeing the mold that made them was amazing. Yeah. So and we're releasing that on the next episode, which will come out July 1st. Um, so we'll get to show everyone that. So I'd say that spindle and then the profile, uh, the horseshoe pedal mold. So before I forget, where, where can people catch us? Is it through the profile website? It is, yep. It's on uh, It's on our YouTube channel. Um, it's oh, okay. just a series that Jim and I are going to continue to do one a month until the end of the year. Mm -hmm. So we started in April, so we're going to do about eight to ten total. Mm -hmm. And it's basically just taking him into the shop him literally finding something and telling a narrative behind the history of that part. It's, so, to me, it's like an oral history project, which I've done, which are so much fun. I did one on the flood of '55, which is, is known up here. But I'm interviewing these people wait, in the which Johnstown. Um, no, and I don't think it was from the same storm. No, it wasn't from the same storm. Okay. Um, but it affected. Uh, the Naugatuck River Valley, which okay. is basically Torrington all the way down to, to Bridgeport, basically. Okay. So it affected a lot of uh, manufacturing towns at that time. So anyway, I was doing this oral history project for as a college project, and I'm interviewing these these older people, flood of '55. Obviously, if they're if they were an adult then, mm -hmm. I'm lucky they're still alive sure. to be able to talk yeah. to at that time. Mm -hmm. and that's when I, I first gained a real appreciation of of the mortality of people with stories. Sure. Absolutely. So I don't know how best to say that, but, um, and the one, I hate to say I have regrets because it's it's not healthy to feel this way, but I really wanted to do an oral history project with my father, just for fun, for the family. I'm, it's And I didn't that. get yeah. it done, and he died yeah. two and a half years ago. Yeah. And, um, I was so bummed out that I didn't get it done because I could have gotten it done. Like I had, I had the way to do it. Yeah. But they were in Merritt Island. Um, my stepmother still is, and I just kept saying, "Oh, another time, another time." Mm -hmm. So, 
kind of I appreciated it when I did the oral history project and then when it came to doing something I thought would be easy because my father's so accessible yep. that's the one I didn't do and yeah, sure. you know it's kind of a bummer but um, my point was long way around <laughs> no I'm really happy that you're doing this mm. because his thoughts his ideas his feelings about these projects over yep. the years have to be documented for sure and you know I think too he's just he's not taking it for granted that's the it's not exactly correct but he again he it was just every day to him mm -hmm. I'm sure like it was for everyone that you would do an oral history on right. where he didn't think it was important and for me to be able to do it and I mean this is a this is a subjective project right not subjective it's an objective project I'm right. just going in there and filming him for him to allow me to do it to put it out and then to get the feedback that he's getting on it is just making him incredibly stoked on it and That's it's awesome. it makes me feel good to think that like all right we're going to do this project i don't think people are going to be interested in it and then everyone's interested in it and he's like wow people care the timing Let's keep doing them. the timing's really good yeah for uh, sure. aside from it being a, a great concept you know a great project but the timing i think more than ever is 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 uh is perfect because it's just something that i think as you see the population age that used to use their part his parts sure. as kids back when he was already an adult we can all we're we're all searching for that thing to grab onto from way back when sure. because that's those are where our fond memories come from with bmx so uh i i think it's awesome that you're doing it i cool. i can't wait to look you know, because I, I didn't realize that was there. So gotcha. I'm definitely going to... Well, appreciate it. Yeah, let me know what you think when you get to it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. I've, I've got some homework. It, you, didn't, you didn't assign me a book yet, though. So I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling... Well, I'm going to be sending you a book as soon as this interview is done. So, oh, okay. Gotcha. Uh, so there'll gotcha. be another another piece to... Uh, well, when you got time. Per, I'll make time. <laughs> um, so, let's see. Radis thing. Okay, well, we'll get this question done. The picture I texted you from ground chucks yes uh was of a gas pedal yes and josh hayes asked seriously when is profile going to bring back the gas pedal we get requests weekly on the gas pedal the gas pedal for us is the most one of the most difficult parts to make it's fully cnc machined so you put in a block and you cnc machine it out all the intricacies on it it's super time consuming and we're pretty much at net zero when it comes out we just it's a it's a it's a Boss, almost. I mean, what how, we, many, how many would you have to make to make a run? I mean, I'm not even saying to hit that, to hit yeah. that balance. But I don't know because it's it's the it's the body that's a pain. The spindle is a pain in the butt to make. Pedals are really difficult to make. So um, that's why I was telling you earlier. I have a stash of five sets personally. Sure. Because I've been buying them from other people and hiding them in fear that. Yeah. One day I might not have a set because they, for me, they're the best pedal that I've ever ridden. Is that what you're running right now? Yeah. I got okay. Like right I got now. You. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but yeah, I'm sorry, Josh. I wish we could do it. <laughs> maybe, maybe the machine shop one day will get a win. Maybe they'll be slow. Probably won't happen. Right. Because there's minimal dudes in there, but, uh, and that would be a dream. When was that pedal originally made? The original gas pedal was made in the nineties actually. And it was thick. It was really big. I actually have a couple sets of those left. People still swear by those. Yeah. And then the newer gas pedal came out in, I think 08 or 09. And we only made about 200 sets total. So if it was 08 or 09, are, are the machinists that are in the shop now the ones that yeah, made those? Yeah, same guys. Mm -hmm. So it's not like it would be a, a brand new 
product for them to make, but they just they are they probably remember. Yeah, it's just really really time <laughs> consuming. And the problem is, is that so much of our other parts are so intricate to make that yeah. we to in, to be able to shut down one machine for a week, right, or maybe even longer to make pedals, we can't because we're behind on everything else. I got you. So I got you. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> no, nah, hey, it was worth asking. <laughs> yeah, everything is worth asking. I, as far as questions go, I'm. Oh, one more. Uh, this one was for me before I get to... I want to finish on Kara's question. So, before I do that, um, how many disciplines of BMX have you tried? Um, I started out with dirt. Uh, that was in the early 90s. Um, no, I take that back. I started out with flat, actually, in the early 90s. And then I... Because that's what I saw in Rad. You know that scene in the beginning when they're all yeah. riding flat? started out with flat then I got into dirt jumping sand jumping sand, yes <laughs> correction sand jumping you're absolutely right we had several sand trails too right right um, then I got into riding street actually and uh -huh. then I got into riding ramp because uh -huh. we didn't have ramps in Florida there were none you know until we started going to Badlands in Orlando and the brothel uh, right. there were no and actually the skate park of Tampa opened up to bikes in 93 so 93 was when I first started riding ramps did you ever do paradise too over in uh, Europe. Yeah, yeah, that Paradise Funplex was like 99, 2000. Oh, but yeah, okay. we rode that quite a bit. We took a lot of trips out there. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, in that order. The only thing I didn't do was I didn't race. Uh, and I don't know if vert riding would count. I rode a vert ramp. <laughs> right. <laughs> I could do grinds once in a while, but that was it, you know. Right. So, yeah, all, and I still I still ride mostly street and park. And, um, and yeah. Gotcha. So that's where... Uh, You've covered almost all of them. You're going to have to buy, you're going to, well, you don't have to pay for it. You're going to have to get a one day license sometime and just go around the track one, one race. Yeah. Yeah. Just so you can, yeah. Check it off. Gotcha. Um, let's see. All right. I want to finish on Kara's questions and then we'll do some final thoughts and from you or projects or anything you want to talk about. She says profile is a huge supporter of bike shops. I've always felt that Circuit has a collaborative relationship with Profile rather than pure, purely a consumer one. Can you describe? Oh yeah, Kira's awesome. Um, can you describe how you specifically support shops and why you feel that it's important? Um, shops are incredibly important for the industry um, because of things like this. You know, you've got Matt. We're at a skate park again in Connecticut, looking at these dudes. You got Matt Horak over here, who's the buyer for Fat Tracks. You've got oh, Bobby who worked, yeah, who okay. worked for Vicket Circuit. Um, these are dudes that are pillars in their BMX scenes, you know, and to be able to work with them on projects together to find out what's what people are stoked on in your communities, to find out. Um, I mean, that's on the consumer side of things, but I mean, it's awesome to be up here. And I'm friends with Matt outside of sure. my job. I'm friends with Bobby outside of my job, mm -hmm. but. I think to be up here and to have that connection of like-minded folks who aren't necessarily in the manufacturing part of the industry or the, or the bike company industry, but mm -hmm. the bike shops are just as an important part of that to me. And um, it's an honor to me to be able to work with a lot of these shops. Like, if not tomorrow, the next day I'm going to go visit John at Dick Malls. I've known John since the early 90s, mid-90s. Mm -hmm. uh, he's doing an awesome thing in his own community. And you know, his father here. back then. Yeah, I, I don't know much about the shop. I just I know his father was... Obviously, a big part. His father founded it. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, and anyway, they've got—he's got his own microcosm going there. It's amazing to see, 
you know, Vic and Kara have circuit, and then 45 minutes away, John's got Dick Malls, mm -hmm. and it's two completely different scenes. Mm -hmm. That's not like that in Florida. I think the interesting thing for me coming out of Florida is that we really never had that. So, us, we have JNR. JNR's huge, and they're an awesome bike shop, but there's, and we've got Mr. Bike and Boards, which is in Orlando, but there's no place in Florida where you can drive 30 minutes in a direction and you're to a completely different scene in a completely different bike shop. Right. Like Circuit created their scene. Dick Malls created oh. their scene. Yeah. Um, Mike Masisco at Tony's created a scene. Mm -hmm. um, Fat Tracks, you know, Matt and all his dudes created their own scene. Yeah. Would those scenes exist without them? Maybe on a smaller level, but these are the people that are perpetuating the state of BMX. They're you the know? conduit, it seems, to the end user, so you can really get the full picture because it seems like they would bring you what they're receiving out from you know from their scene and, and pass it on to you and vice versa they can relay what you've got exactly absolutely and that I mean another thing too for product production and quality control too like it's awesome to be on these are all my friends as well mm -hmm. so if there's an issue like let's discuss this let's work through it right. and let's make something that your shop can work with you know yeah, I'm sorry. I should I should have said you've also formed relationships with some of the end users mm -hmm. and and uh, kind of their crews, so or the crew of the bike shop too. Yeah, which is, absolutely. It's got to be helpful for sure. And New England, I mean, is a hotbed for that too. And of course, California. I mean, you go up sure. and down the coast. I just did a trip with Mike Hankins, our uh, team manager from Madeira, who's I could go on about Mike. He's awesome. So my close friends too, uh -huh. but like we went on a, a four-day shop trip and we hit 13 shops in a two-hour radius. Wow! Like 13 core BMX shops in California, all of them doing their own thing, having their own demographic, having their own, wow. you know, niche out there. A lot of them doing different things too, not necessarily street or ramp, and they were doing other forms of BMX riding, mm -hmm. whether it be race or whether it be, you know, the cruiser stuff that a lot of dudes are doing now. Sure. Um, it's really awesome to be on. I mean, I've created friendships with these people and to be able to give that reciprocal feedback back and forth. Um, so going back to Kara's questions, yeah, I mean, shops are incredibly important and I think that gets lost with the idea of mail orders. And I mean, people not understanding what the repercussions are. I get it. If you're in a rural area and you don't have a shop, by all means, you're probably going to have to go to a, to, to, to a mail order. You sure. know, like in Albies and Empire, which are awesome. And a right. Chad Powers in Richmond, those are awesome bike shops that mm -hmm. just happen to do mail order too. Those right. are also three core amazing bike shops that have created their own scenes. But, um, you know, in Florida, again, we don't really have that. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't live in Naples and you've got a core bike shop to go through, to go to, so. And, and having just come from Richmond and stopping by Powers. Of course. I Chad's got an empire, it's amazing. Yeah. So but, good. But I mean, he had a weekend, I, I had to get home because I, I wanted to be home for Father's Day, so I, I missed their Saturday night premiere of uh, uh, Cantwell, I forget his first name. Oh, Curtis Cantwell? Curtis Cantwell, yeah. awesome. They had a premiere going yeah, of, yeah. A, of, cool. a, of a video of his and um, it was just really cool, and the second I went there, went in there, I'm like, oh, you know what? I've been I've been dying to get a different uh, a different free will on, which I believe is a profile. Oh yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, one of those. Uh, I'm so out of probably the, the elite free wheel. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, and it makes these cool sounds yes. when you're in the air. Yeah. So I, that's I it. feel all badass now when I ride around <laughs> the trails with Crandall. I'm like, this that's is rad. awesome. I feel like I make noise. Yeah. This is great. And yeah. I don't have, have one of those discs on my back wheel to amplify it. It just does it. Sure. But anyway, he threw a new freewheel on and had to take, I have flip-flop TNT hubs on. Yep. I We got to that shop and I'm like, oh man, 
you know, I like to reciprocate. And sure. Chad's come to some of the jams that I've put on, and, and I just said, hey, can you put a new chain on? Because, of course, the, I got the Patosnys in my head still. Sure. Put a new chain on, you know, and uh, and put a new freewheel on because nothing's worse than a freewheel breaking free. Um, and, I, you know, I, I don't ride cassettes. I still ride. Sure. I call them freewheels. Yeah. But, so anyway, it was so cool to go in there, and he's like, yeah, yeah, just threw the bike up on the rack, just worked on it while we were chatting, and then some other guys were in there just hanging out. It was still a bike shop, mm -hmm. you know, and still supporting the local scene, which was really, really cool. Absolutely. And he was probably leaving just a couple of days later to come to Connecticut because there's a big national Racing here this toy. weekend. So. Absolutely. And what I meant by empire, sorry, not like the idea of like this capitalistic empire, just the empire of like you go into a shop and it's like, Everything you need is there. He's got yeah. everything you want. It's like going into JNR, going into Empire, Albies, and mm -hmm. walk in. I mean, Circuit for sure, too. And Dick Balls, you go in there and everything you need is there. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Vic's, so Vic's awesome. set me up lots yep. of times. It's, I can't, can't beat it. I mean, I, I just, again, maybe it's because you and I are a little older, but relationships mean so much more to me. Absolutely. And, and just, you know, having that connection with whoever I'm spending money with. And just, for sure. I love it. So yeah, awesome question, Kara. Um, yeah. So we're to uh, any projects coming up that that um, I think we talked about a couple. Obviously, uh, on the literary end, um, but product-wise or events or anything that yeah, we're gonna agenda? do. Hopefully, when I get back, the next trip for us is gonna be Made in America Five, which is awesome because it's FBM's 25-year anniversary. Yes. It's Profile's 50th, and it's yeah. Made in America's fifth. So uh, that'll be really awesome. We do that with Q, QBP, oh, okay. QBMX, and Jay Schley, who we're indebted and thankful to. They're such an awesome distributor, and they give back, obviously, a ton mm -hmm. to BMX and to cycling in general. It's such a great distributor to have. Uh -huh. um, so we've got that project in the works. Um, I really want to come to the K-Rob Jam. Yeah, I would love to come yeah, up to that. I've got to. I've got to go back and maybe talk to my wife about that. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one because uh, I had to pick this date. Nothing's going on. Yep. But it's it's uh, between definitely after X Games of the weekend before, and then there's my jam, and then there's um, I should say K Rob jam, and then there's um, I think there's something the next weekend, but either it's mountain bike related U.S. Open or mountain biking I know is happening, um, and Dave King is working on stuff for that event as well as where where our event is. But it's a it's a tight. Well, let's just say summer's tight. I mean, there's yeah, so sure. much going Absolutely. on, especially up this way because, you know, we have to cram it all into. Yeah. I heard the term "dark summer" today oh. for winter. I'm like, <laughs> I couldn't do that, man. There's no way. Uh, I will live through the heat of Florida, so I don't. I mean, I love it up here, man, but yeah. I can't. Do, I can't hang with winter. Oh man, no. it's brutal. It's there's it's no surprise that people head down to Austin so often and uh, and Florida. In California, wherever they can, wherever they can find to escape it, and it, it's uh, it's tough. But on, on the other side, it it makes you appreciate it so much more. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because you can't ride sure. 365 days a year. It's you know, just even getting to ride twice a week, even if you're riding indoor or going to the wheel mill or whatever, yep. which is really the closest indoor. No, I'm sorry. There's two indoor part. No, one. One of them just closed. Rad just closed in Menden, Mass, and uh, now just Skater's Edge. Yeah, that's what I heard. Is, and I think there's still Massachusetts. Uh, so now Skater's Edge is it besides Rye Airfield, which is also a good option. 
but those are all pretty far from where I yeah, live. Yeah, sure, sure. And, and then, of course, there's wheel mill race. So that's it. Yep. So you really, like, appreciate any minute you can get. Sure. The dark it's, summer. Oh, Brutal. man. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I was, um, in, I'm definitely interrupting your, your oh, no what worries. you were talking about. So you've got, so you've got Made in America 5. Yeah, Made in America 5 is coming up. And then after that, there's really, I mean, it's, there, it's going to be filled up. I don't know what it's filled up with. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm going to be working on this project with Crandall. Um, I just, I do an edit a year. I just finished up with that. So I'm starting that again on this trip. Uh -huh. I filmed a couple clips for that. Not that I'm, again, trying to reinvent the wheel or anything. I'm sure. just trying to document like the stuff that I'm stoked on to just let people see at the end of the year. Right. So right. that's really it. Got a, um, actually doing a trip to Tulsa. Oh, <laughs> doing that coming up. Right. So uh, I'll Visiting be sending you some photos. Actually, that. now that I'm out there. But uh, Chamber yeah, of Commerce that's it. for Tulsa. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Love it. But uh, yeah, that's really it for now. I'll, once uh, once fall cracks in, I'll be doing. Obviously, I'll have probably another couple projects and road sure. trips that I'll be going on in the fall. So yeah, and fall, uh, not I'm sure all around, but fall is is that's really trail season yeah you know, for sure fall. So Absolutely. there's lots of good things you can go to yep. i'm sure there's gonna be another women's jam up in eastern pennsylvania i'm positive of that yep and no doubt kara is going to keep putting stuff together because she's doing an amazing job she with an the awesome job pump track for of course sure. she'll be there saturday by the time people hear this i was so over, stoked but. to ride with her yesterday too we went to groton connecticut and we got to ride together yesterday morning she's awesome yeah i love i, I love waking up in the morning and some staying with them just drinking coffee and chatting with her too it's great yeah so, yeah awesome. definitely and and hopefully hopefully cross my fingers vic i uh, can get well enough that he can ride again yeah that would be awesome at some sure. point because it's got to be it's got to be tough for him to sit back absolutely you know, but um so it just down to anyone you want to acknowledge and, and um man um acknowledgements um so many people to thank i mean again thank you joe for driving out i mean it's awesome that you drove out to meet up oh absolutely we're sitting on a creek getting eaten up by mosquitoes and i'm having a great time you know it's awesome i, I got enough blood to go around <laughs> awesome chatting i'm good um <laughs> Well, thanks to Vic and Kara for letting me, you know, come up here and, and hang with them, too. Um, everyone at Profile, for sure. Thanks to all of them for Jim and Nancy, the owners of Profile, for giving me an awesome job where I'm sitting here with you, mm -hmm. you know, chatting and getting to ride with my friends and conduct business in a roundabout way. You know, it's we're all promoting BMX in general. Sure. And, uh, I, all my friends at home, Eric, Steve Caro, uh, thankful to them. All my buddies I grew up with, Sean, Albright, Forrest Roberts. I, I owe them so much. Thanks. Yeah middle restart and uh steve crandall for sure steve's been steve and i i, I don't know i feel steve and i, I feel have gotten a lot closer over the past couple of years and i'm just I'm so stoked to have him around because we have like mindsets and we're always texting back and forth you know whether it be bs or whether it be something yeah. serious or political right. or whatever and it's just awesome to have someone else within bmx that you can really talk to about BMX, but also on other levels too, both intellectually and whatever, whatever we're, we're talking about. And Bobby Proctor for coming out here with me today. He's been awesome. Yeah. And Matt Borak and Seth for meeting up. And uh, I don't even know where to start. There's just so many people to th thank. I think sure. it's just BMX in general. I mean, thanks to everyone that I've run into over the past 25 years that have been awesome and have remained friends. And thanks to everyone who rides a bike. And thanks to everyone who listens to music that's influenced them and allowed them to you know open up for it to make them better people and make better decisions i know it's kind of general to say that but it's just again talking to you about it i realized what a big deal that was and it mm. played my life so thanks for bringing that up i never actually thought about it that way 
I, I'm so. going to leave this thinking, wow, <laughs> I, I did. I, I actually felt comfortable talking to you, and I didn't feel like outwitted, outlasted. Uh, Why? Well, I, I, yeah, I hope not. But yeah, no, thanks I'm, for that. I'm kidding. You. I just kept telling my wife, I'm like, this guy's way too smart oh, for me to talk right. to. I can't hardly. do it. Now, my wife, on the other hand, that might be a little bit. She's. Well, those two are smart. Level. So if you come up for the jam, <laughs> you could stay at our house. She, well, actually, you and I would be staying at the event. Um, but the, those two probably are two peas in a pod when it comes to. I'm not going to sit at that event all yeah, day. Yeah, totally. <laughs> are you crazy? There's so many things I could do because. I really highly doubt my wife will be at the event. So, sure. but you know what? It's that's the yin and yang that makes things work. So, yeah. So anyway, but hey, I appreciate it. Thank this you, Joe. Great. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah, Thanks absolutely. Yes, thank thank you. you. All right, we'll get out of the mosquitoes now. All right, Matt. Another question: Have you ever been injured at a show, either playing or watching? Uh, I actually have several times, but the one I can think of offhand that was pretty crappy really crappy actually was we were playing a show in germany and uh the guitarist we we were we were playing the guitarist swung his guitar and actually hit me above my eyebrow and uh pretty big gash i was bleeding all over the place and then after the show my buddy mark who actually ended up moving to florida went with me to the hospital and uh it was in southern germany I think it was in the bavarian region and no one at the hospital spoke english so mark had to interpret for me and um i got the stitches done it was free which i was that was my first experience with like some sort of socialized healthcare. and i'm yeah. like i'm done and they're like yeah you're, you're just done i'm here telling mark this and i'm like <laughs> sweet i just got like a 500 dollars doctor's bill paid for right so i left and we went back to the squat we were playing in germany and the band locked me out of the squat and it was in July. It was probably in the mid-30s for some reason. Uh-huh. So I had to... Luckily, they left the van open on accident. So I went, ended up sleeping inside the van with nothing on me, with this giant gouge over my eye, just huddled in the, in the, you know, in the back seat of the van, hoping I was going to freeze to death. And then I woke up the next morning, and they finally let me in. So yeah, that was, uh, that was probably the most, the most brutal one that, that happened. So. Being hit by a guitar. Yeah, in the right right above my eyelid, it just oh, exploded. It was crazy. So, yeah. Wow, and the blood probably got everyone excited and sick. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, kind of did. Because you know I'm doing vocals Fire and I just blood. have blood like streaming down my face, like Gigi Allen or something. So yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All right, so that's that one, huh? That is it. All right. Here we go, Matt Copeland's band Reversal of Man with the song January 22nd. One of two bands that Matt has been in. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed the podcast and everything about Matt. He's got quite an interesting story and definitely someone that has his heart in the right place and loves every part of BMX and literature and music. So thanks, Matt. 
Have a good week, everyone.